0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the
2: Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU
3: Radio.
2: Good morning, friends. Happy Wednesday to you. Dr. Matt here along with Terry and Becca. The gang is gathered. And uh, we're ready for a great show today. We're going to be talking about what the flu does to your body. What's what, with all what the the flu aches? What the flu? What's, it's all these aches and pains. Something's going on. And we think, uh, we, we might think that the pains are because the infection is infecting us and that makes our body ache. But it actually may be that our body is sending and doing certain things and the aching is a sign that it's actually responding to the flu.
4: See, I mean, that's the same thing. Aches like, and pains are good. Inflammation is a sign that your body's fighting back, but yes. it hurts, so that doesn't make any sense. Oh, see, it should never hurt. Now you're being negative. Oh. Yeah. It's a good thing. So we'll talk
2: about in depth, probably more than you've ever wanted to know, but it's it's really cool information.
4: It, it, it's always baffled me that people, when you hear someone die of the flu, yeah, when everyone's like, oh, it's just the flu, you're I mean, fine. Yeah, just fight it off. Just have some chicken soup, hang out a while, and you'll be fine. Yeah, watch Netflix. And it's a serious thing that we just sort of all take for granted because it's normally just sort of a minor inconvenience and you move on. Right. But if your body is weak in certain ways
2: and you get the flu, then you may be in a world of uh, trouble Hmm. and pain. So we will uh, we will get into that interesting topic up in a few minutes. Also, um, speaking of World of Pain, uh, the new the, – the embattled nominee for the VA job, by the way, a job that has about 300,000 employees. It's the second biggest department in the yeah. government. And the president uh, – President Trump wants his doctor, Rear Admiral, Admiral Ronnie Jackson, yeah. to be the guy that takes that seat. But now – other information is coming out that may uh you know create problems for the for Dr. Jackson. Mm. And but President Trump just thinks it's kind of like a witch hunt. So, you know, he's like if I were Ronnie I wouldn't do this. This was President
4: Obama's doctor too. Yeah, and President Bush's. I've heard that for- all three
2: of them well he,
4: he and Trump and uh Bush all have written a recommendation. I've heard staffers um from Obama talk about how great this guy is a great guy you go on trips and he's there everyone loves Ronnie he comes in he helps you out he's just a great person and then all and so before before it was the guys never managed anything close to being this complex right Right, and so like we talked about the other day, the what the Peter syndrome, Peter Peter principle, principle. the idea that you're promoting someone because they're good in one job, yeah, so they're obviously going to do well here, and that doesn't always track. Now it comes back that there's 20 people that came in and talked to one of the senators who sits on this approval committee, (laughs) and he's like, "What is all this?" And there's there's uh, one of the uh, accusations is he's uh, miss miss what prescribing pills, yeah, and what it is is on long flights. He'd walk down the aisle of Air Force One with the staffers and say, does anybody want to sleep? And he'd hand out Ambien pills. Yeah. And people are like, so he's just handing these pills out. Like so Skittles. The the VA has, you know, the opioid issues. Mm-hmm. They have other you know, dependency issues. And so does he see that as, he can just hand out pills and yeah. it's fine? Well, I mean, they're sleeping pills, but that's kind of where the well, thoughts but, are. Yeah.
2: Well, and he doesn't know the history of all these people. No. So you're going to hand an Ambien to somebody that maybe... Is on other meds that
4: contradict, or yeah. Anyway, so that's kind of problematic. There's a, there's some drunken episodes that they've been detailing,
2: but only and... drunken episodes while serving on a trip with the president yeah, when and Secret Service needed to intervene. It's fine. Which, by the way, remember all the all the problems the president or the Secret Service has been having because of these drunken episodes with agents. That's right. Now the president's doctor
4: himself. And, and yesterday, President Trump said that um, he wouldn't – if he was Ronnie, he wouldn't go forward with it. I would just get out because these politicians are going to just yeah. make it horrible for you. Which – But it, if he wants to run, I'll support him. And, like, you nominated him. And yeah. you're, you're acting he's all your, wishy-washy he's your about guy. what he's doing. Yeah. So.
2: I mean – Ah, is it politics or is it just he picked he picked the wrong guy? It seems like a little bit of both here. Yeah. And a lot. I mean, the president's having a hard time apparently picking the right people.
4: Pruitt still now. Pruitt is really getting deep. He only Pruitt said he only dealt when he was a member of Congress. He only dealt with people who donated to him. Well, yeah, duh. If why, they why? else money, would you deal with someone? I dealt with him. He goes, if they didn't donate, I wouldn't deal with him. If they donated, we might. That's kind of you have to Or the, if they were going to donate, yeah. he would look at dealing it's with
2: them. It's a pay for play situation. It's yeah, fine. We need to start getting donations. Let's get to the headlines,
4: Terry. What else should we be paying attention to? A big uh, day for the president. Federal judge ruled Tuesday that the Trump administration must temporarily resume the deferred action for childhood arrivals or DACA program and shield some undocumented immigrants from deportation. Judge John D. Bates ordered that the Department of Homeland Security must accept and process new as well as renew DACA applications. Huh. So they have to bring in new people, they have to accept they, the process needs to continue Same as going always forward. Yeah. President Trump moved to end the program last September But his efforts have faced numerous legal setbacks uh, The judge said The Justice Department's rationale for ending The Obama era program was virtually Unexplained Yeah. So there's one strike for the president. He's like, oh, there's that. He's had a hard day, yeah. Today, the Supreme Court is hearing its final oral arguments of the session on Wednesday and uh, today, and it's one of their highest profile cases of the year, Trump versus Hawaii. Uh Uh-oh. Trump's travel ban from six majority Muslim countries, Trump's third iteration of this travel ban, has been in full effect since December, but the challengers will argue that the ban on the uh, majority Muslim countries and... A number of uh, limited uh, politicians, I believe, from Venezuela is an unconstitutional manifestation of Trump's promised Muslim travel ban he made when he was running for president, that it all came from the same idea, from the first travel ban to the second to the third, that the whole uh, creation impetus of the whole thing was he stood there and said, we're going to ban Muslims. Oh, yeah. And then they walked it back, but they're saying, no, that's where this comes from. The Trump administration will say that the ban is a lawful exercise of the president's broad discretion over immigration and national security matters. The justices will uh, will po- also have to possibly decide on whether the president's tweets constitute policy statements. Wow. Because he talked about the Muslim ban. Like, at first he goes, it's not a Muslim ban. And then in the next sentence he says, it's a Muslim ban. <laughs> so. Oh, there is the tweet now. Just so that's that's actually this could be could this be the final
2: uh, you know nail in the in the coffin of tweeting because everything I he tweets can't be a policy statement. But he's but he's the president. The White
4: House says that it is statements from the president. Sure, right. This is in effect a press release. Would be kind of what they're saying, right? But then they uh, then they want to have it both ways. And, oh no, no no he was just he was just frustrated and venting he was just tweet balling so it's this the supreme court will have to deal with twitter yes uh a commission on college basketball yes sharply directed the ncaa to take control of the sport calling for sweeping reforms to separate pro and college track uh, permit players to return to school after going undrafted by the nba and ban cheating coaches for life the Independent Commission, led by former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, released a detailed 60-page report today, seven months after the group formed by the NCAA in response to the federal corruption investigation that rocked college basketball. Wow. But So the FBI is looking into it. They formed this commission, and they came back with some recommendations. Condi's on it. She is. There's 10 people, including some assistant coaches, have been charged in bribery and a kickback scheme. A high-profile program such as Arizona and Louisville and Kansas have been tied to a possible NCAA violations louisville was uh tied to paying players coaches have been fired you have uh what the arizona head coach is uh, reportedly on a uh, fbi wiretap talking about paying to get a player to arizona like something around a hundred thousand dollars they've denied it all but yeah then the board of regents in arizona said that if the coach is actually found to have lied about any of this he has to pay a fine to them type of thing they work that into his contract oh, i believe so. and the permanent firing of anybody that does this that's a great idea yeah so all kinds of different things so the ap gave me a, a text this morning that really kind of sums Hold up like you and the ap are like yeah we're, out we're connected out? here it says uh, the panel calls on the NCAA to ban cheats so anyone that cheats on rules like coaches and stuff yeah. they're out end one and done so if a, a player comes in Plays for one year in college basketball and then goes pro. Yeah, because that's causing an environment for cheating because this guy's not going to stay for school. So we might as well get our agents in there and get our hooks in him before he goes pro. Oh yeah, and that starts messing with the. Oh, college. so they would
2: end that so you're not allowed they, to. They
4: recommend that the NBA end their policy if you have to be 19 to get into get into the NBA. Oh, which, so that way they which could just causes the one straight. and done problem in right. college basketball. Um, so no word on if the NBA wants to. Be part of that. Yeah, they want the NCAA to outsource enforcement. Oh, really?
2: So have don't an
4: outside agency be in charge instead of, of the NCAA enforcing things sort of in an unmeasured, uneven sort of way. You know who they should get? Dog the Bounty Hunter. You could get Dog the Bounty. He'd Hunter. be fantastic. They also want to certify agents who are around these kids. Oh, make oh, sure they're so they legit. Have to be like a
2: legit licensed agent.
4: They gave some recommendations on the AAU programs that are around the country because there's some issues with that, and also look at shoe companies and the relationship they have with universities because mm-hmm. they're causing an environment for corruption. Yes. Fun times. Uh, finally, John Hopkins, computer science professor graded announced that he's grading his students on the curve. The highest score in the final gets an A and everyone else is graded accordingly. The clever students in the uh, Intermediate Programming, Computer Systems Fundamentals, and Introduction to Programming for Scientists and Engineers figured out that meant that if they all boycotted the exam, they'd all get an A. Oh, boy. So they organized a boycott, milling around in the hall outside the class where the exams were being sat, sternly reminding each other that if no one sat for the exam, they'd get straight A's. Ignoring the teacher's pleas to come in and sit down, the, uh, the... a professor praised his students afterwards for their solidarity. The students learned that by coming together, they can achieve something that individually they could never have done. At a school that is known perhaps unjustly for competitiveness, I didn't expect that reaching such an agreement was possible. So was was he – he was okay with it? Was this part of the lesson? It wasn't clear if he was frustrated that nobody came into his exam. Yeah. But maybe afterwards he realized that they were thinking beyond the class to figure out a way through solidarity to achieve the grade they all wanted. And the mere fact that one of them, just you know the one, the
2: one that has to always have the four, that one didn't go take the test. Apparently no one sat down for the test.
4: Everyone got an A. Oh, wow. (laughs) They all got a zero, so everyone gets an A. That's amazing.
2: And again, by the way, uh, you know, a lot of people doing a lot of thinking. Which is amazing on a high school or a college campus at times. Um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of stuff we're going to be talking about straight ahead. What the flu actually does to your body. What's with all the aches, the pains, what's happening, and, uh, and why could it be fatal for some? Interesting, interesting discussion straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends to the matt Townsend Show uh today we are talking about uh, flu and and the inf- and influenza um, you know it's coming to an end, but it has been a pretty nasty season and um, a lot of deaths uh, a high um, a high impact on a lot of uh, senior citizens, younger people as well uh infants a lot of a lot of pain has been suffered because of the body your body and the flu today or the, uh, this year but what exactly is the flu how does it affect our body and uh, so we we wanted to bring in dr. Lara Haines she's a PhD from the University of Connecticut health and uh, is a professor of immunology there and is uh, today going to walk us through um, what happens with the flu how it impacts our body how uh, it causes what it's, what it's doing when it's causing all the pains and the problems dr. Haynes thank you so much for being with us today
5: Oh, glad to be
2: here. Talk to us about um, the flu, the influenza virus. What, what is going on? I mean, we always know that we've got to get our flu shots. We know that the, the, it's, that it's a kind of a, a moving target, it seems like, that we're constantly having to, to fight it a different way or find a different way to fight it. It, it. Talk to us. Teach us about what is influenza and what's going on in our bodies as we start to, uh, to feel the impact of it.
5: So, the flu is a virus that enters your body via your usually your respiratory system or other mucosal membranes. It could be your eyes or your mouth, whatever and it gets into your um upper airways in your lungs, and that's where it infects the cells it'll bind to receptors on specific cells in your airways and it will then get into the cells and begin to replicate cause as, as any virus w- would want to do, it wants to make more of itself. And what our bodies will then do is try and stop that. Yeah. And so there's two kinds of uh, immune responses to a viral infection, such as flu. So the first that happens very quickly is the innate immune response. So this will happen to really any kind of infecting Pathogen, so whether it be a flu or a virus, you'll have an immediate response, and it'll be production of uh, soluble mediators, so these are little, little molecules that are really telling the rest of the immune system, hey, something's going on, we need to get up and get fighting because we've been invaded, basically. Mm. And uh, they respond to specific uh, molecules that are on the virus, so the virus itself triggers the immune response. These then these these little molecules that are sent out uh, start activating, for lack of a better term, the immune army. So it's it's really defending against invasion in any sense of it. And you so now we have uh, lots of cells lots of soldiers being recruited into your lungs mobilized recruited into your lungs and they're going to begin fighting the virus
2: Oh interesting so so is that is that when your lungs start to you know burn or ache or well f- you'll, fill with more fluid
5: Yeah so you'll get some fluid in there um you'll start with not it's not so much Feeling things in the lung, it's it's the the um, the soluble factors that are sort of sending out the alert are really what drives the mm, feeling like crap.
2: Yeah, just lethargic they, yeah. and
5: yeah. So it's it's these are called interleukins. They they, they signal other cells to come. So your you know, your 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 immune cells are going to be living in your lymph nodes or your spleen, hanging out waiting for an infection, now they're, they're mobilized to come in um, by these soluble factors that are spewed out into your bloodstream. And so now they're re- being recruited in, and this, number one, they're gonna uh, start to divide a lot, so you're gonna get swollen lymph nodes, that's mm. your cells dividing and responding. And then um, these soluble factors, since they are going all over your body, in your bloodstream, they go to your brain, they go to your muscles. So um, the reason that you get lethargic is what's going on in your brain. These factors affect, uh, signal. They, they signal to, to um, cells in your brain that you, so that you will feel tired, you will feel lethargic. They signal in your muscles Your muscles will start to
2: ache. Wow! And these are so that's interesting. So it's it's not the flu that makes me ache. It's my body's response to the flu that makes me ache, achy, and lethargic, and swollen lymph nodes. It's my body responding.
5: Yes, yes. So it's it's the the army of your immune system mobilizing to fight the virus, and and, you know the the ultimate goal is for for your adaptive immune response to come in to your lungs and specifically kill the virally infected cells.
2: Now, interesting. Does it does it overshoot? I mean, could it be that I'm getting way too big of a of a fix for a small dose of the virus?
5: That's a possibility. Yes. And, you know, th- this this uh, is one of the problems with an immune response in a vital organs such as the lung um, during the resolution or the of the infection when the virus is pretty much getting cleared you're having a really strong response going on in the lung because of your immune system yeah. and that's causing a lot of pathology okay and that's gonna be lung damage that's that's when it gets really hard to breathe you're coughing
2: and if I already have lung issues, if yeah. I already have uh, breathing issues, then this is where it could become fatal. Exactly. Yeah.
5: Yes. The other problem with this is this really now sets up a stage for uh, secondary infection. So you can get a secondary bacterial infection. A, a lot of people who die from flu actually don't really die from flu. They'll die from secondary bacterial pneumonia. Mm-hmm and that's you know you just you begin to get a little better you think like you're better for a couple of days and then all of a sudden you get the bacterial pneumonia and if you're not in the hospital it's not going to be good
2: oh wow interesting so yeah. isn't it it, it's, it really is our body doing everything it can to help us but simultaneously it's causing pain and if we don't watch it and pay attention and we already have other conditions it could it could actually exacerbate the whole situation
5: Exactly. So, you know, older folks who have uh, chronic lung disease, people who or younger folks who have chronic lung disease also, uh, people who smoke or people who uh, have jobs where they ha- are exposed to uh, lung irritants. These all people are really uh, much more susceptible to a bad outcome during flu.
2: Then we talk about the the flu shot that we ought to get the flu mm-hmm. shot, and so what is when we get the flu shot, what exactly is happening and and how is it beneficial if there are so many variations of the flu
5: Yes so it it is beneficial it's obviously not a hundred percent preventive but so what the flu vaccine does is uh it it's it's just purified proteins from the virus so there's no actual virus in a flu vaccine except for the flu mist which is the which you get up your nose which Mm -hmm. they haven't been recommending it hasn't been working well lately but um all the flu shots that you get intramuscularly in your arm they're all they contain no flu virus so um and the goal of those is to induce an antibody response and now the antibodies are going to be made by a responding a B lymphocytes and the antibodies will circulate and once you have the virus in your lungs or once it, it gets introduced to your body what the antibodies do they're just little um, molecules that can bind to the virus they're specific for a specific type of the flu virus and that's decided about now is where they're deciding what flu viruses need to be in the vaccine for next year. Mm. Um, so they'll bind to the virus and the, the, the ultimate goal there is to prevent the virus from binding to the cells in your lungs. Now maybe it doesn't work totally, but if it works a little bit, the level of virus that actually gets in your lungs is reduced, but also if you do get an infection, and new virus is produced in your lungs from your lung cells, the antibody will mop it up quickie, quickler,
6: yeah, yeah, quicker, quicker.
5: Yeah. So you, it's just sort of dampening down the level of infection so you don't get as sick. Uh, the other thing that we don't understand, but it's really been coming out in studies lately, is that the flu vaccine is highly correlated with reductions in heart attacks and strokes, especially in older folks. So flu makes older people much more susceptible to heart attacks and strokes for huh. reasons that we don't understand. Yeah. And the flu vaccine really protects against that.
2: Wow. And then, so is it compounding? So if I get a flu shot every year, does it, that, that means I'll get different proteins uh and uh, influence of proteins year after year after year. Mm-hmm. Does it make over time? Does it build a stronger bridge for me,
5: um, or a
2: stronger wall against this? It,
5: it could. Um, we're not really sure. The 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 main issue with the way that the flu vaccine is made now is that it it's not obviously it's not it doesn't induce a long lived. Mm. response. So, you know, it it induces a a response that is protective over a period of months, but it doesn't seem to last, that that, that it's a very transient protection. And we don't understand why. You know, this is part of of the immune system that that is not totally understood yet. You know, what makes a long-lived response versus what makes a short-lived response. And in, you know, some vaccines, you know, like like a, a measles vaccine induces a lifelong immune response, hmm. but flu doesn't. Flu and and it's it's also the nature of the vaccine because it's um, it's not as strong. Whereas a, a measles vaccine is a is a attenuated live virus. A flu vaccine is protein, and it induces a different kind of immune response.
2: Yeah, So, yeah, so. does um, do, do you sense? like overall that the the flu viruses that we're seeing today are they more aggressive than we would have seen 30 years ago are these viruses getting stronger tougher more um, tricky than they maybe were years ago or is it the same virus i mean is is it just another iteration
5: it's mostly another iteration and you know once in a while we'll have a strong uh, pandemic virus like we had in 2009 2010 or like what we had in 1918, but uh, honestly, like this year, the H3N2 was circulating more than the H1N1, which was what the pandemic was in 2010. Um, and you know, this is this is a, not a new virus. This is something that goes around every few years. Mm-hmm. So un- unless there's a perturbation. Of a new, with a new virus or a new combination of virus, then um, we're, we see uh, similar things. And so if people, you know, get sick and survive one pandemic, when that virus comes around again, they'll be protected.
2: What would you say to um, people that say, well, man, Laura, you know, it sounds like a lot of people are getting the flu shot, so I probably don't need it
5: uh because i think what what i just said is that you know it doesn't protect totally so even if you those people who don't who do get who who get it and still get sick can still transmit it to you yeah and my my big issue with people who don't get the flu shot is that if they get sick you know they they may be young and healthy but you know they're going to go
2: but grandma may visit, not be visit grandma yeah
5: or or, or, you know, visit uh, elderly people and the younger people are much more protected when they get the flu vaccine than older people are and which is not good because older people are way more susceptible to getting really sick. Mm -hmm. So um, honestly, when you're getting the flu shot, you're probably getting it not for yourself so much, but to keep from transmitting it to other people. That's a great way to look at it.
2: Yeah. What would you, um, I mean, I guess in the end, because then we also hear, uh, I mean, this is something that if, if I have a lung issue, if I have asthma or severe asthma or other issues that, or and what are some of those issues that would make me more susceptible that I really need to make sure I'm paying attention when they're talking about the flu? So,
5: yes. So anyone who has asthma, respiratory allergies... Um, COPD, emphysema, um, or even if you know you're just really prone to getting a lot of viral infections, uh, you know, young adults of that nature. um, Also, young kids, Mm. so young kids, you know, most, most people once they get to be an adult have some flu immunity; they're not—they've been exposed to flu, so they're a bit protected. But young kids are not; they're very, um, their immune systems are quite naive, and, and so they can get really sick. And I think this past season, we've seen a lot of kids die from flu. oh
2: that's so yeah. tragic. Well, Lara, we appreciate your insight uh, and your great, your great, just willingness to help uh, help us understand. That uh, when you are feeling all the pains, all the aches, all the trouble, the congestion in your chest, uh, it's really your body getting to work. It's a sign of good, not necessarily a sign just of the bad. Your body is engaged. Um, Laura Haynes, again, Ph.D., professor of immunology at the University of Connecticut Health. um, And uh, great, uh, great insights. Thank you very much. We will continue the journey continue learning, doing what we can to make not just the the world uh, a better place from, you know, influenza, but uh, up next we'll do a little Coach's Corner, see if we can improve our relationships along the way. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
7: It's my house, come on. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a
2: coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back friends to the Matt Townsend show. You know, um one of the things I studied in my doctoral program is uh a theory that's called symbolic interaction theory. More than you'll ever probably want to know or remember, but the idea behind the theory is it's a social psychology theory which basically says that all symbols in life are created, right? So you're not born just knowing something. You don't you don't necessarily know what a pen is. You don't know who your family are in relation, I mean, as you would know them today, but that that symbol, that that information becomes different as you interact with it over time. And so if we interact positively on certain things, we tend to feel more positively about those things. If we interact more negatively on things, we tend to feel more negative towards those things. And our symbols over time end up being created, which is why, you know, when you're first in love, the symbol of kissing is a very positive, incredible symbol. But if you're mad at each other and you've spent 15 years fighting, then the symbol of kissing is just a symbol of loneliness because we never do it anymore. And so um, why I bring this up is that I, we talk a lot about creating resilient kids, creating more resilient families. And I one of the things I was thinking about recently is maybe what we need to get better at is sharing some of our stories as we interact with our family and our kids. And I think there are certain stories that induce or create more resiliency for our kids and our families. And these stories, a lot of times they, they may be told, but they may not be told in a way that you're trying to foster the principle of resiliency. Uh, resiliency is that ability to to bend and and twist and kind of handle the winds of the world and um, and still be able to kind of snap back to your to your healthy state and so um, one of the things I wanted to talk about are some of these stories that you should probably be sharing with your family. I know I need to be sharing more of with my family. These stories, by the way, will start to normalize the fact that life is hard life there are some struggles. But it will also normalize the fact that it's through pain that you progress. Um, that it's not the trial that's the key; it's the response to the trial. Um, it might also share with your kids that you were like them. I've just noticed with my own children that I end up having opportunity after opportunity to share these stories as they, you know, are coming to me and we're dealing with their life trials. Uh, but it might be important to share a few of these. One of the stories that we may we we need to make sure we're sharing with our kids is the what I call the the who am i story when did you realize and get a really good identity or idea of who you are everybody you may have had that moment when you know you were tempted or somebody asked you to do something that was against your value system and maybe you did do it or maybe you didn't but you really started to come to this realization that you know what i I'm better than that, you know, or the identity that you realize that you could probably you can you could be a doctor or you could you could get into this school that you want to get into. And you started to form your identity as a teacher or as a, a, you know, a mathematician or a scientist. That's the who am I story. And I think kids, especially like my college kids, need to know how I came to know who I was. So I try to share that story. Another story you could share is the What Matters Most story, like where you actually learned a very important value lesson on one of your values. And you just share the story. I remember working on Sunday uh, at a golf course. My entire life, uh, I was always taught you don't work on Sunday. Sunday's God's day. Give it to God. Well, I you know, had a chance to work at a golf course, and that would give me free golfing opportunities. So I started working on Sunday And I always felt bad about it. And then one day as I'm working on this Sunday, I'm driving a Cushman golf truck around the golf course and ended up crashing it right into a fence and ripped a fence down basically a big metal fence. And uh, I was thrown 20, 30 feet and messed up a little bit. And right then as I'm walking back to get help uh from my fellow workers I realized yeah I don't value working on Sunday I just don't value I just don't value working on Sunday So anyway I ended up realizing that um I I need to I need to not work on Sunday anymore. And I walked right in and said, yeah, I crashed this and I can't work on Sundays anymore. (laughs) Anyway, they looked at me like, okay. But that was a really interesting story to share with my kids. And uh, we're going to constantly be talking more about the stories we need to be sharing because they're not going to learn something that you don't share. But some of these stories are, are groundbreaking and it actually makes you more human in their eyes. We'll continue the journey, folks. More straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, folks. You know, the life of a police officer sounds difficult, doesn't it? Dealing with theft and accidents seeing the most uh, traumatic events of people's lives, murders on top of all of that. You know, you think the last thing on their mind would be a, anything about their untucked shirt. But experts are looking into the daily life of a police, police officers, and it seems like some administration officials are so concerned with trivial rules that an untucked shirt or a missing hat may be the biggest worry in a cop's mind, even after saving someone's life. Is administration of police force corrupting or burdening the justice system? Well, a few months back, I spoke with John Shane, a professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, to help us understand the kind of stresses police deal with in their everyday lives. Uh, It was based on an article from Marketplace.org and entitled The Cost of Stress in the Police Force. I started the interview by asking, is police work really a thankless job?
7: Well. Yeah, you do have a point there. I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll stop short of saying it's it's thankless. There are there are certainly a lot of thankless moments. Yeah. That the pub that the public certainly doesn't understand, but there are there's a lot of, you know, good that uh, you know, the police contribute to society in you terms bet. of you know, recreational opportunities, economic opportunities. Uh, you cannot have a viable community with employment, recreation, good schools, without having a very strong uh, police force. And, you know, yes, uh, no, nobody likes when the lights are, are turned on behind them while they're traveling down the road uh, above the speed limit, you know, but there, there are good reasons for that. And, and, you know, discretion certainly plays a lot into how police officers interact with members of the community. But, yes, you are right. Uh, the stresses of the day-to-day operations of policing, uh, I think the research bears uh, – Bears us out are are much more detrimental than the operational aspects of policing.
6: Oh yeah!
2: In fact, th- this article that we were citing, the cost of stress in the police force. I guess there's a there's an organization called Cop to Cop, which is a 24 hour hotline that fields up to 850 calls every month for stressed out police officers. And sh- the 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 leader of that, Cherry Castigiano, said um, that she she's found that. It's one thing's the trauma, right, of just having being a cop and exposure to murder, car accidents and hurt kids. But she said what may be even a bigger issue is simply what happens after the car chase is over the, you know, the leave, the administrative leave and having to deal with administration. Do you see that, John, in your research with police officers, that there's a lot of tension just between the administration of the police officers and the cops?
7: The, the answer is 100% yes. Mm. Uh, I know Cherie very well. When she started Cop to Cop, I was working in the Newark Police Department, and my division and myself and a couple others were instrumental in getting that operation up and running. Oh, great. Between the North Police Department and you know, University Hospital at the time. So we're going back now probably to about uh, 1996, wow. somewhere around there. So it's up around 20 years. But the research that I've done... And uh, the interviews that I've done with police officers have certainly bear witness to the fact that it is the administrative side of policing that is much more detrimental to their emotional well-being and their stress level than it is the operation. Mm. And, and a lot of this stuff centers on things like constantly being second-guessed in the work that they do, constantly having their decisions overridden, constantly being subjected to an enormous policy and procedures manual that... Uh, covers literally everything you could think of, from the way you have to wear your uniform and your shoes and your hat to how you are to conduct yourself during a police pursuit and the reports that you are, you know, required to file, the level of bureaucracy. And most people have no real good conception of how policing is structured. You know, the, the, the image that everybody has is that of, you know, the cop's television show or these glamorized yeah. uh, Hollywood-style NYPD sorts of things. Yeah. But the, the reality of police work is that most police departments around the country are about 15 police officers. Some are very, very uh, very small, but nothing like the NYPD. And there's a tremendous amount of bureaucracy and oversight that wears on you on a day-to-day basis and until it eventually wears you down into something like suicide or alcohol or other performance problems
2: oh and then the the political side of it and i mean I, I was an EMT on an ambulance, and you 'd go to this you 'd go to the scene and it 's dangerous and we 'd even sit outside and wait for the cops to go in for the dangerous thing and then clear the scene, and then we would go in and take care of people. But what was so amazing to me is after all the intensity and getting everything done and you finally you risk life and limb and you get to the hospital you get the patient taken care of then you still have a half hour to 40 minutes of paperwork. And and then to have your leader come in and say, "No, what was this?" and start questioning your paperwork. You're like, "Holy cow." I mean, yeah, that it's exactly stressful. Correct.
7: And not, and and the and the the idea of liability looms large behind that. Yeah. And the fact that your hospital is going to be sued, you're going to be sued personally. You're going to be held accountable for a decision that you made to save someone's life within two seconds, and someone's going to take six months behind the scenes to critique your ideas with the with the best law books and everything else. Say, well, no, what you did was wrong, uh, and we're going to prove it to you. And here's how it works. Mm. Very difficult proposition to be in on a day-to-day basis for twenty, twenty-five years of your of your career.
2: Oh, and, and and you you saw it in those funerals of those officers that were shot in New York when there was the, you know, the people that the officers that turned their back to Mayor de Blasio and that whole kind of situation. But there's incredible tension and these people are giving their lives and the majority are just good folk, right? They're just good people but they don't feel like they have their leaders, their administration, backing them.
7: Yeah, there's been a lot of very, very good research uh, from the 1970s into the 1980s about the differences between what are known as management cops and operational police officers. And those at the line level many, many times feel as though the people in management don't support them, don't understand what it is they're facing, have forgotten where they've come from, and suddenly they have this management persona that is antithetical to everything that's going on in the field.
6: Hmm. Yeah.
7: Now, I, look, I respect the fact that the community has to have the right to complain. They have to have an avenue for redress. And, you know, everybody has to, you know, be heard because there are times when police officers don't act the right way. We, I think we all know that. Right, right. But to have routine mundane, everyday decisions question because that is essentially what we pay police officers to do. We pay the police to make decisions on our behalf uh, in our best interest to keep us safe
6: um,
7: from all sorts of things. And at every single turn, there always seems to be someone who says, well, you know, the police could have done this, that, and the other thing. And because they didn't, we're going to hold them accountable. And we're going to prefer departmental charges against them. And you know, next thing you know, somebody's being suspended for a decision they made that's perfectly within their right, but because someone feels that they should they, they should have done something else, yeah, that they are now subject to departmental criticism.
2: An, an example you give is just simply the uniform, right? So you, you they could be just simply nitpicked in their meeting, their pre whatever meeting, just for their wrong sock colors or whatever, and um, all of a sudden we're not only being nitpicked for what I do on the street, but I'm also now have to be, be I guess, perfect at literally everything because one complaint will come down on me.
7: Yeah, and th- it's those very sorts of things that weigh on you day in and day out. You see, if you face a man with a gun, if you face a car chase or a fight in the street or a domestic call or a car stop that is uh, a little bit hazardous, They are brief, momentary points in time. They come and they go. Yeah. And you can recover from them. You know, you you sit back in your car after the episode and you think about what happened. You have time to calm down. But the rule book in a police department, the rules, the regulations, the policies, the overbearing autocratic supervisor who got his or her job through nepotism and is certainly not qualified to sit there, has authority over you. And that authority never goes away. You either leave the the, the police organization or you learn to cope with those things. And unfortunately, there's no real coping mechanism when you've got an overbearing autocratic boss who can turn to a 700-page book and find something that you've done wrong at every single turn. Mm. That never leaves you. Where the car chase will leave you and the domestic violence episode will leave you after a brief moment. The rule book and management never leave you. You either leave police work or you learn to live with it.
2: Well and that's and learning a... to live with it that, that, that
7: often means turning to drugs, alcohol, yeah. domestic violence, you know, other maladaptive behaviors.
2: Well, and maladaptive behaviors that then may be acted out in your job again. It's, well, of course they are. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but what's like
7: use of force and courtesy and all sorts of other. Things.
2: I mean, you're talking about a 700 page rule book that's just the rule book of being the cop. That's not even just the laws they need to uphold. Right. That's just the cop rule book.
7: Right. That is the rule book of the organization. Are they, and if you it, it's very simply stated, if you were to go online uh, onto the Internet and, and Google something like uh, policy manual or department procedures or uh, some, something like rules and regulations, you can find organizational examples from across the country. Mm. And every one of them is two, three, four, five, six hundred 5, 600 pages. There's some on there that are 900 pages long. <laughs> Nobody could possibly uh, be expected to memorize that, and yet Someone somewhere knows what's embedded on page 543, and they're going to pull it out and use it against you.
2: Yeah, and they may not even use it against you in the moment. They just may use it against you the minute there's a complaint. It's, 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 well, a, it, it's tense.
7: Yeah, that, see, that, that's part of the problem, because the human experience cannot be mathematized, right? It, right. It, it's it, not by rote. It's,
2: it's so really situational. Sort of yeah,
7: lot, a, Yes, it's situational. It's discretionary. And someone always has a counterexample of what you should have done uh, in that moment. And that person, unfortunately, is someone sitting behind a desk somewhere who has all the time and decision-making power in the world. But you had to do this in three and a half minutes on the scene of an incident.
2: That was Dr. John Shane. Uh, We'll be hearing more uh, from him next hour about the pressure on the police force. Now let's get to the BBC.
0: the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide
1: on the side. Follow
0: Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
2: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Terry and Becca, the gang gathered researching up and down, left and right, getting you the information you need to live a healthier, happier life. Today, uh, we'll be doing it again. No, um, you know, no rest for us. Today, we'll be talking about a Game Theorist's Guide to Parenting, revisiting an interview we did, a fascinating, I think, interview with, uh, you know, there's a lot of interesting gamesmanship, I guess, is the way we can say it. Uh, And really, it's systems theory is what's going on. Um, and you can learn a lot about it by using mathematical analysis of how to handle conflict and conflict resolution. We have a guest that will be coming on to talk about the fact that there are some rules and some very predictable patterns when it comes to
4: uh, dealing with your kids. So an academic approach to messing with your kids.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't Great. use the I word cannot messing. wait for this interview. It might be what? an academic approach oh. to understanding your children you manipulating your kids no, because no, no. It, they're still making all the choices but you could then understand well, why they would choose that choice don't they think they're making the choices but you're actually trying to exact you know what it is it's a lot like facebook yeah. that knows exactly what you're going to do but you actually think you have a choice
4: right so you're just manipulating your kid
2: well or is it just that you just are so clueless oh. that you don't know that you're doing the very predictable thing that they knew you would do.
8: See, that's why I'm excited for this, because it seems like kids are completely unpredictable.
2: Oh, by the way, but they're very they predictable. seem way,
8: to kind of have our number.
2: Guess who's even more predictable than kids? Who? The parent. Yeah.
8: Hmm.
2: Parents are even more predictable than the kids.
8: <laughs>
2: so at some point, uh, these lessons are going to be good for all of us. We'll be revisiting... That interview, and it gets down to it, – it's not – we think of it as games theory is the name of the, the actual theory they're using, but it's not the, kind of the games you're playing uh, that you think of as a game. It's just if I know that if I want you to go right, then I might need to go left, mm. and if I go left, then that might lead you to go Right. And then if I take one more step toward you. So you're trying to juke your kid is what you're saying. Uh-huh. So there's a science of juking. Mm. If I take a step toward you and I'm really close to you, there's a pretty good indicator that you're going to take a step back. All right. Now, who moved you? You right. moved yourself. I just created a condition. And it's games theory.
8: <laughs> that is so interesting. Sorry.
2: I keep doing that little laugh. But yeah. no, That's good. Well, I'm
8: going to get a button for that.
4: Nelson's no. Nelson's a hero of everyone, so.
2: Yeah. Great show. <laughs> profound depth uh,
4: let's go to the headlines terry what else should we be paying attention to president trump's nominee to lead the department of veteran affairs white house physician ronnie jackson is deciding whether to drop out of consideration trump told reporters tuesday the senate on monday proposed or postponed jackson's confirmation hearing following allegations that he drank excessively on the job improperly dispensed medications and created a hostile work environment this out of the Washington Post. Lawmakers uh, were reportedly also concerned that Jackson is unqualified for the position because he lacks large-scale management skills to take over the second-largest yeah. department in the government. We were saying that at the very beginning, but right. now it's getting a lot more complicated. There's other things. Trump said that Jackson is making a decision on whether to remain in the mix, noting that if I were him... I wouldn't do it, though he nominated him, yeah. so you'd think he'd have more confidence in his guy. But yeah. Trump said that he hadn't heard of the particular allegations, but that he still supported Jackson if he decided to not to withdraw his nomination. Okay,
2: so here's the question, Terry.
4: Yeah. Uh, if he's not
2: good enough to be the VA head, yes. and where all this other information is coming out, then can he actually return and be the doctor to the president? That's another question
4: being asked, because, and, and then it turns out that... Trump nominates him because he feels he's a good doctor and he's yeah. had a good relationship with him. And he does a did great job
2: at the microphone.
4: Great press conference. And he's like, go ahead. So by, by nominating someone he likes... He may have just exposed him to a situation where he can't yeah. keep the job that he currently has. I mean, I guess unless the job he
2: has is for the president and he the president says, no, I want him there.
4: That's the other thing is this could all just all be by presidential discretion.
2: Yeah. Just do what just, he wants. He's my man. I don't care if he's knocking doors in the middle of the night at a hotel.
4: I don't Allegedly. Care. Allegedly. Yep. I don't care. He's there to give me a pill when I need one. Yeah. Or the whole plane. According to allegations, Uh, the U.S. uh, if the U.S. pulls out of the Iran nuclear deal, there's no reason for Iran to stay in it either, the country's foreign minister told the Associated Press on Tuesday. Earlier the same day, President Trump gave every indication that the U.S. is out. French President Emmanuel Macron lobbied Trump to preserve the deal during Macron's White House visit Tuesday, per the BBC. Trump proceeded to call the deal insane, reflecting his months long intention to rescind the U.S. involvement in the 2015 deal signed by President. Uh, barack obama to curb uh, iran's nuclear ambitions but if the u.s is out there won't be any deal for iran to stay in iran's foreign minister said as he talked with the associated press it also shows that the u.s doesn't keep its promises and could hurt talks with north korea he said trump has until may 2nd or 12th to decide
2: well this sounds almost like the ramping up that went on with china yeah and the ramping up that went on with kim jong-un yes yes Huh. Well, maybe
4: this is maybe they're falling into Trump's hands. Uh, or game theory. Either
8: game way, theory.
4: if we're in the deal, <laughs> yeah. the deal calls for Iran to have limitations for 15 years. Yeah, the idea being, as we close in on the end of that deal, you can re- keep negotiating. Uh-huh. Whereas if we just get out, then there's yeah. no deal, and they just keep making weapons. But I guess the idea President Trump would say is. Well yeah, if but we're not in the deal, but you're not in the deal either because some of you may not be living up perfectly to everything in the deal right now. Except the inspectors and the people his that he that President Trump has brought into his office to give him advi- advisory his yeah, comments his... are all saying they are. Oh, but are they? that's the problem is that trump
2: are they i
4: don't know what evidence he has they haven't but the evidence apparently he's given from his people or that they are yeah well and by the way his his buddy uh macron yeah is like oh yeah stay in this he's speaking today in in front of congress and he's going to recommend they stay in the problem is it's not up to congress it's up to the president right so maybe they can put pressure i don't know so intense See what happens. Streaming services are bringing in more revenue than CD sales and digital downloads for the first time in recording industry history, Reuters reported on Tuesday. Really? Streaming services. First time in history. Yeah. You know, the what, yeah. 10, 15-year history uh, yeah, of streaming. Right. A trade group released an annual music industry report that showed revenues up to $17 billion in 2017, an 8% jump from the year before for streaming services. Paid music streaming services like Apple Music, Spotify, and Tidal have specifically helped move music lovers away from illegal downloads, which robbed the industry of its sorely needed revenue. Right. Reuters reports that music sales dropped by 40%, between 1999 and 2014, when download sales from programs like iTunes didn't compensate for the sudden drop in CD purchases and the rise in music piracy. Now the industry reports that 176 million users were paying for streaming subscriptions in 2017, funneling that cash back to the industry. Wow. Granted, at a lower rate than the $15 for a CD. Yeah. But
2: it's it's revenue. And it's coming in. And, and now that
4: more people are getting into these services, more money's coming in, and they're starting to see that revenue rising. Oh, excellent for them, I guess. I guess. That's
8: great news. Yeah.
4: And now you don't have to buy a CD with one song that you want to listen to and 14 yeah. that you care less about. I wonder now if they'll just only produce the one. Instead of pretending uh, to
2: produce 14 others that no one
4: wants. And then and you get those interviews where they're like, you know, I was really trying to craft a, a whole vision of where I want to <laughs> oh, Just give me the song. Get rid of your vision. Uh, and finally, Ashland University in Ashland, Ohio, became the first university to announce that it would offer scholarships for skill in Fortnite Battle Royale. Really? The online game that is sweeping the nation and yeah. irking teachers everywhere. Uh-huh. Irking Fortune magazine reports Ashley University is one of 66 colleges and universities in the U.S. that have joined the National Association of Collegiate Esports since it was founded in 2016. The schools recruit eSport players the same way they would a varsity athlete, and many of the athletes receive scholarships. Official university – this is a a news release, right? It says the Ashland University eSports program will be adding Fortnite Battle Royale to its title offerings (laughs) beginning in the fall of 2018. It was announced by the head coach, Josh Buchanan, the uh, AU eSports team will be the first known collegiate eSports program in the country to add the title Mm. for its offering. They're all playing – like World of Warcraft yeah, and but League think, of Legends and stuff like, like that. Yeah.
2: Think about that. How many people are going to be mad that people get scholarships for playing video games? Yeah. Yeah, they do. They do. I My mean, dad. they also get it for shot put and yeah.
8: <laughs> other things. Well, that's true. Yeah. My dad is hundreds of miles away, but I can hear him sighing from here. Not about the scholarships, <sighs> yeah. but just about the fact that they also are called athletes. Yeah, that bugs,
2: yeah. That bugs a lot of people. But if you've ever seen the sweat that they produce mm. in one Fortnite battle royale,
8: oh yeah, I heard the
2: incredible. Thumbs. Hey, here's a question for you: If you're sitting there with another uh, head of state, yes, in a dark suit, and he has a little flake of dandruff on his like collar, mm. and and the press is there, you're like fifty cameras, fifty in front cameras of him. shooting shots. From all over the world. From all over the world. Do no. you mention, hey, let me get that piece of dandruff off your collar and then reach over and grab it
4: off because you want him to look good? If you have a real emotional bond with that individual, as President Trump and the president of France apparently do, yeah. at least they keep talking but like they may- do. Maybe what you do is you just reach over and grab it, but you, yeah. don't, make
2: them, you don't mention, let me get that piece of dandruff off of your See, I,
4: I read the story and I thought that he just sort of leaned over and sort of brushed his shoulder real quick. Oh, no. You watched and the then video. I, I did. It's I watched pretty. the clip and he says this. He goes, let me get that piece of dandruff on. And Macron was like, what are you doing? So this was President Trump to President Macron and it was
2: one of the most cringeworthy moments, I why, think.
4: Why are you touching me? Well, I, then and
2: there it, was. I get it. Touch him. Get it off of his collar if it's that important to you. But don't bring up the word
4: dandruff. There were scenes where Trump's trying to re- hold the – French president's hand as they walk around. Yeah, that was yeah. Different I mean, areas. You know, and, that, that could just be taken out of context. Uh, the four, the, the 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 the
8: dandruff though. Both
4: yeah. both the presidents and their wives trying to have photos together on different parts of the. Just the whole thing's awkward. But
2: like, like the the hand holding with President Macron, if they were like neener, neener, neener and they're skip, I mean that would be weird yeah but it's just that's just a moment
4: he's trying to drag him out of the door minute or something,
2: your voice says, Let me get that dandruff off of your lapel because i don't I want you to look good right. because
8: I want you to look good and the minute he reaches <laughs> over sh- sh-
2: all these cameras start popping. Oh brother, just what
8: a missed opportunity to yeah. to say, don't be flaky,
2: yeah, have you heard of uh head and shoulders?
8: <laughs> oh, those flakes that head of state in France. He's got a great head on his shoulders.
2: <laughs> That's a different head and shoulders. Oh. oh, man. Up next, we'll be talking about the Game Theorist's Guide to Parenting. What do uh, What do the systems thinkers see going on in parenting relationships? How can mathematicians help us better understand what's going on with our families? Straight ahead. Game theory is the mathematical analysis of conflict resolution. So game theory obviously has its place in decision-making between international businessmen, heads of state. But does it also have the same impact with your five-year-old child? Dr. Kevin Zolman is an associate professor of philosophy at Carnegie Mellon University and the author of the book, The Game Theorist's Guide to Parenting, and explained with uh, to us not long ago um, that it actually does. There's a lot of power in these theories, and they can impact our kids very positively. He said, I began, oh no, I began the interview um, with Dr. Zolman by asking if he could explain what game theory is and why it is being used in parenting.
3: Game theory, we call it the science of strategic thinking. It's a, a theory that's been used to think about negotiation, but also other types of that was invented in the 1940s and used a lot in economics and political science and psychology and, and related fields. Um, but as you said, for the most part, it was applied to sort of big scale decisions like international negotiation or, or, or business decisions. And one of the things that my co-author and I sort of figured out as we were starting to work on the book is that a lot of these big scale strategies are strategies that you can employ in the home with your kids. And even though it's maybe not as uh, monumental a decision as the decision whether to sign a treaty, nonetheless, you can get a lot, you can get a lot of the same benefits out of using game theory to try and reduce conflict in your home, just like you can reduce it in international relations.
2: Yeah, right. And it's, it, I mean, I guess when I when I think of it, um, I've never necessarily, well, I guess I have sensed it as uh, a mathematical equation, but it's it's almost beca- the the game gets complicated because you can start to actually actually measure outcomes of how the game is played, and if you alter one part of the game, then you can start to see uh, how it would alter the uh, the outcome as well, right?
3: Exactly, and that's one of the things that game theory has really shown is that sometimes surprising little changes in the way that you structure how two people interact can radically alter the way the outcome proceeds. And so one of the things we do in the book, we try and take the mathematics away, because, of course, not everybody wants to read a bunch of equations. Boring, right? Yeah, exactly. But what we try and do is distill the lessons that the mathematics teaches us, present it in a way that's that's understandable and clear and easy for people to, to put to use in their own homes. And exactly that, you can make these small changes... That maybe you wouldn't have even thought were a big deal, but that might make a big difference in how the outcomes with your negotiations with your kids or between your kids uh, turn out.
2: Okay, let me give a naive example and then start teaching us, okay? So if we're going to do an arm wrestle and I'm going to fight against you and compete against you, um, I guess I – I mean I would probably win fewer times if we are competing, but if I would learn to cooperate – and even let you win sometimes, so you would let me win sometimes, and we create a spirit of cooperation, we together could win more together than we could competing.
3: Exactly. That, that's a great example because it's one of the things that game theory teaches you is that it's, it's uh, oftentimes if you can find ways to make mutually beneficial or win-win outcomes, that's good for everybody. Now, that's easy to say in theory, but right. sometimes hard in practice. So one of the things, like with your example, say you and I have to arm wrestle over and over, but we want to sort of do this with minimal effort, right? So I I don't care so much about winning. I just don't want to get tired. And the same for you. We could fight each time and try as hard as we could, or we could make an agreement where with the agreement, we might take turns. I'll let you win one, then you let me win one. And if we do that, then we can both end up the same. Each of us win equal numbers, but with minimal effort. Hmm. The critical thing is, how do you, how do you enforce that? Right. So if, you know, if, if, it's, if, if we're just going to arm wrestle once, and I say, oh, I'll let you win, well, it doesn't seem like something that I might follow through on. Maybe I'll try and trick you, and then try and win myself. And so the, one of the things that game theory uh, has shown is that repeating the interaction is really important. So it's really important in your story that we arm wrestle several times in a row. Yeah. That way, we can make an agreement. I'll let you win this time, but you've got to let me win the next time, and then if you do that, then I'll let you win the third time. Hmm. So we can make an agreement that becomes uh, becomes one that we'll keep to, precisely because the threat of the future. I could always retaliate on you in the future, and that keeps you sort of in line
2: yeah. uh, today. And which is why this is a brilliant, seemingly brilliant technique to, to use with the, your children, because they're going to be in, you know, reciprocal, interactive relationships over time.
3: Exactly, exactly. And so one of the things, we have a chapter about this in the book, we talk about how it is that you can design interactions that maybe are going badly with your kids in order to try and make them repeated in a more, you know, condensed way. So for instance, you know if your kids have to cooperate to pick up the room maybe one of them shirks on on you know his responsibilities and sits out and lets his sister do all the cleaning right. and then she gets mad well what you can do is you can say instead of just saying clean up the room you can say okay the little you know your son is going to pick up one toy then your daughter will pick up one toy then your son will pick up one toy, right? <laughs> and by doing it that way, the kids can see. Well, if I don't pick up the toy, then my sister isn't going to pick up her toy. In Interesting. And we're not getting out of here. Exactly. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Because so many times as parents, we would just divide the divide and conquer. Great, you do this side, you do this side, but the other person may not ever do their side.
3: Exactly. But if you do it this way and then you, say, promise a reward or threaten a punishment if, if if the room doesn't get clean or if it does get clean, then the kids can see, ah, our best strategy is to cooperate with one another in order to get the ice cream reward for
2: Holy having clean. Holy cow.
3: It. Now, is this um, something that happens
2: in nature naturally? I mean, do, do two monkeys do it this way? <laughs>
3: Yes, actually my favorite example of this is 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 a bit creepy but I kind of like it nonetheless is with vampire bats. Oh yeah. So they these are real things uh, and if your listeners didn't know that they might not sleep tonight, but they really <laughs> do exist. They they live in caves during the day and fly out and look for mammals whose blood they can eat uh, uh at night. Ugh. And when they come back to the cave, you know, it's hard to find the uh hard to find the big enough mammals, so sometimes they don't eat. And so if one didn't eat during the night, he'll walk up to a friend and he'll ask for some food from the friend. And apparently it looks as though they they implement exactly this strategy. They remember each other, and if they see that, that somebody who had helped them out comes begging for food, they'll help them out.
2: Wow. Nature. Me sure, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing, and yet we all fight with each other. Exactly. Um, <laughs> not crazy. So, give us a teach us another one. So, so learning how to cooperate. Uh, so, let me get straight. In the book, you teach the principles, and then you give examples for how how to get that principle to be applied.
3: Exactly. So, each chapter of the book looks at a different parenting dilemma, you know, where your kids are fighting or they can't decide how to, how to uh, split things fairly or you, they never listen to you when you threaten to punish them or something like this. And then we walk people through the sort of lessons of game theory as they apply to that specific case and then at the end conclude with, you know, how can you put this to use to solve similar problems that a parent might have? Hmm.
2: Honestly that is it's it's brilliant um, because too we are we're converting them into a cooperative mentality right we're we're fostering a cooperative mentality
3: That's exactly right and you know game theory was accused of and I think you know somewhat fairly in the early days of being really about conflict it was invented to deal with the cold war and so there was lots of analysis of what were called zero sum games games where if I win then you have to lose and vice versa but modern game theory is much, is much uh, nicer and friendlier than that. And really, we started to turn to understand games where there are cooperative, what are called cooperative solutions, win-win solutions. And one of the things that we emphasize in the book is that by showing your kids the various strategies that they can learn to cooperate with one another, not only are you reducing the conflict in your household – But you're also teaching them lessons that they can take with them well into their adulthood because of the same strategies that work between brother and sister are going to work between husband and wife or between uh, uh, two employees that can't get along or in any number of different contexts uh, in adulthood.
2: Oh, man, that's good. Uh, Give us us another example. What's another example of fostering cooperation with our kids, getting them to... um, to even maybe just even cooperate with the schedule?
3: Yeah, with the schedule. So that's another one that's really that's really tricky, right? Kids don't want to go to bed, right. they want to do something else, or they want to keep watching TV. And so how can you get them not just to cooperate with each other, but to cooperate with you, the parent? <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things that we look into is different strategies that parents can use to either punish or reward their kids for engaging in behavior that the parents want them to do. The classic example that we talk about, the one everybody knows, is the dad who threatens to turn the car around if the kids don't behave in the (laughs) backseat. We all know the story, and we all know why the story doesn't work, because dad wants to go on vacation too, and so he doesn't want to follow through on that threat. Game theorists have a term for this. It's called a non-credible threat, and the idea here is, of course, the kids are smart enough usually to figure out that dad's not serious. He doesn't want to cancel the the, the, uh, the family vacation. So what, one of the things we talk about is we talk about how parents can design threats or, or, or rewards, punishments or rewards, that they, uh, that they want to follow through on. So one of the suggestions we give is instead of threatening to end the vacation, what dad could have done uh, is say, well, we're still going on vacation, but instead of going to the amusement park on Saturday, we're going to go to the museum." Oh, there you go. Right. So that's something the kids are going to go, well, dad likes museums, so he's going to want to do that. And so now we should behave because dad will actually follow through on his threat. That's just <laughs> one example, but we give several yeah. of different ways that you can make your threats or threats of punishment here credible.
2: I mean, sure, it's ruining museums for children. But <laughs> you still—it was credible. It's a yeah, credible it threat,
3: credible. And, and that's not the only. No, thing. that's well, I mean, great. We, we, we also talk about other things where you know you could, if say one of your children is misbehaving, you could threaten to replace their favorite activity with one of their brother or sister's favorite activities. Right. So there that's you the go. case where, where again. Um, brother or sister say, ooh, you know, this is exciting. Maybe I can get to do more things that I want to do. And the one who's misbehaving says, ooh, I better be careful because, of course, dad's going to do that. Um,
2: mm. uh, I love this. We're speaking with Dr. Kevin Zolman uh, from Con- Carnegie Mellon University, and he's the author of the um, the book The Game Theorist's Guide to Parenting. It really is allowing uh, people to interact in a way that I guess is more productive. It's, it's, it's more real for the players. You're allowing them to, to see kind of a cause and effect relationship to what they want.
3: Exactly. And, and one of the things I find, at least, and maybe I'm just abnormal in this respect, is that I sometimes don't even realize to myself how much I care about something until I really think through, you know, well, what would I be willing to do to get it? And so I think one of the things that's useful about the auctions is it's not just that it gets chores done, although that's, of course, a benefit, yeah. but it's that it really helps your kids to start the process of thinking through, well, I want to name the family dog, but do I really, how much do I want it? And do I want it more than my sister? Hmm. That's the critical thing is that, you know, kids think, well, I want to do it. And so therefore I ought to do it. But they don't they haven't yet gotten to the point where they start thinking about well how much does she want to do it and how does that compare to how much i want to do it
2: yeah is um where does the fairness idea come in a lot of times i hear kids complaining that something's not fair
3: yeah and
2: yeah. so how, how do you handle fairness
3: this is a really interesting topic and is one this my co-author was the uh, person who really investigated this and one of the things that surprised both of us when we found it out is that there really are actually two different ideas of fairness, and kids learn them at different stages so the first one is the is the sort of jealous notion of fairness that's the it's unfair because he got more than me mm-hmm. um, and that arises at a very young age. I mean kids develop it really early on, and any parent I think knows you know the kids will be in tears as soon as their uh, friend gets more candy at the birthday party or something. The other notion of fairness, the one that that is sort of you might think of as the more mature, more sophisticated notion of fairness, is that it's unfair when I get more than him. Hmm. And that notion of fairness doesn't really set in until kids are more like seven or eight years old. So that the idea that kids might develop a, a, a dislike for getting too much more for themselves than somebody else gets doesn't set in until much later. So one of the things we talk about is how you can help to teach your kids that it, unfairness goes both ways and how you can set up situations to encourage younger kids to be fair with their brother and sister, even though they might not have yet developed this notion of fairness that, uh, that uh, comes at a later age.
2: Do you – so do you – is there a game? Is there a – I'm just trying to think of how that would look um, to create – The fairness both ways. I mean, it's a it's an interesting idea. I have never thought of it when I get more. That's that's kind of a different level of maturity. But, you know, in our world, we kind of say, well, if you're getting more, just keep getting it.
3: Yeah. Certainly, I mean, one of the jokes that 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 my co author and I shared is you know there's certainly a good number of people in the public eye that we can think of who maybe haven't got to that eight year old age yet <laughs> no,
2: some of them are running for president um, but it's a uh one of the things when I was a divorce mediator, we would always say, "Great, make the deal, and then let's just be willing to reverse it huh. so if you're if we can reverse the deal and it can go either way, yeah, then it seems fair,
3: yeah. Yeah, that's so game theorists have a name for it and it's called envy free. So what that means is if both parties are indifferent between which side of the deal they get, then it's envy free. I don't envy what you got because I'm I don't desire what you have any more than what I have. Hmm. And so game theorists are really interested in how do you design negotiations so that you produce these kinds of envy free outcomes.
5: Is it
2: In the end, your goal with the book and games theory, summarize it.
3: So what we wanted to do was we wanted to use this sort of sometimes esoteric and very complicated theory and distill the lessons so that people who don't have the time or desire to really dig into it can take advantage of it. And so we wanted to take these ideas that had been sort of floating around in academic circles for a long time And known, you know, taught in business school and taught in political science, and give it so that the parents can really get the idea quickly, put it to use in their home without necessarily having to learn all the bells and whistles and details that the sometimes very complicated theory uh, would require if you were to, say, take a college class in it.
2: Yeah, you don't need a Ph.D. for this one. Exactly. Unless you want to know it.
3: <laughs> Unless you want to know it. Of, right. course, I, of course, you know, I love it. So, I, so I it was worth
2: it. the PhD. <laughs> As we wrap it up, Kevin, what would you say, what's the one thing that parents should remember to, to that's just a basic rule that might, you know, very easily get them into kind of the games theory mentality?
3: Absolutely. One of the critical things with game theory is you've got to think about, You've got to think about the interaction from the perspective of the other person. So it's very easy for a parent to say, well, of course, I wouldn't, you know, uh, skip my homework every day because I know grades are important. But your young teenage daughter might not think about it that way because hmm. she has different priorities and she's thinking about things in a, in a different way. She's thinking about the future differently than you do. And so what's always very important is to think about not what would you do in that situation, but Given your how your kids think about the world, what will they do? I think that's one of the real central insights that game theory can, can present.
2: Great stuff. Dr. Kevin Zolman, thank you so much for your work and for uh, the book, The Game Theorist's Guide to Parenting. Thanks for being with us. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, again, how the science of strategic thinking can help you deal with the toughest negotiators you know, your kids. The book's written by uh, Paul Rayburn and Dr. Kevin Zolman. Excellent stuff, folks. Hey, take we'll take a break. We'll be right back. Do a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. Uh, I've been uh, talking recently, uh, last hour or two included, about... Um, The lessons we could teach our kids and really by just having different discussions and maybe better discussions about life. We always talk on the show about resiliency and and creating a, a more resilient family. Part of resiliency is helping our kids understand that life is hard and you can get through it. And, and really when it comes down to it too, that you're already uh, able to handle a lot more than you think you are. And I think one of the things that really could help us convey this message to our children and our family are the stories we tell. So some of the stories I think we should make sure we're telling are the Who Am I story, which is where you share with your kids very clearly how you came to know who you are in this world. If you're a spiritual person, that could be your story about your conversion, uh, about why you believe in a higher purpose and how that higher purpose helps you understand how you're supposed to respond today in your daily life. The lesson could also uh, get into the Who Am I story could be about what, what you were called to accomplish on this earth, how you came to understand your specific role. Um, And it might even be as a father, as a mother, as a friend, as a doctor, whatever your profession is, how you came to understand that role. Um, But the kids need to know that you didn't start this world just knowing you were going to do something. You had to figure it out, and it starts to set up this idea that there is power in looking for your calling in life. Also, you could have a great discussion about that. Talk to them about their passions. Talk to them about what they feel in their heart. Uh, deeply that is uniquely theirs to bring to the world, um, and then share how you specifically discerned what you were supposed to do. Another conversation you can have is that life uh, the life lessons you learn from loss right we 've all lost somebody dear to us or we 've lost a car that we loved so much and we had put so much time and energy into, or we lost um you know a position or a toy or a something we 've all had loss in our lives. And the conversation that we can have with our kids about loss is so in, is so valuable because it's not going away. We are all going to have loss in life. So let's normalize loss by simply saying, you know what, this is how I dealt with my loss. And you might be able to tell a story where a business partner hurt you or, uh, you know, a spouse did something um, and you ended up ending the marriage. Or, but talk about how loss hurt and um, how you made it through the hurt. Another story that you can tell is how to handle life's stresses. You might talk to your kids in this one where you talk about how you've learned to handle your emotions, where a lot of times you wanna blow up and freak out and get mad and punch somebody, but how you chose not to, or where you feel anxiety and stress. And how you've learned to manage your anxiety and stress. Again, this teaches that we we can learn that stress is normal, wanting to punch somebody and get angry is normal, but you can then start to teach your kids specific situations where you learn to manage the anxiety and manage the stress. You can have a discussion about where they struggle with it and help them figure out how to turn off the fight or flight, Right. How they can manage the emotion another great i think lesson and story we could talk to our kids about is the i can do hard things story that's the story where you in your head honestly doubted maybe at first that you could accomplish something you just couldn't see how it could be done and it was overwhelming where you felt like there is no way i can do this and then tell the story about how you overcame the hard thing And how you, piece by piece, slowly went through the journey of doing the hard thing. Talk about how it feels to overcome such hard things. Again, notice how this conversation, all of these conversations, are setting up the idea that life has some hard edges, but each and every one of them we can get through. We can get through loss. We can get through doing the hard thing. We can uh learn what our values and our principles are we can We can handle and figure out who we are, even in a world that seems so dark. When you guide your kid, your child, through these discussions um don't just do it when the moment appears uh, sometimes it might be great to start teaching some of these lessons along the way, uh, not just when all of a sudden they need those lessons. Does that make sense? They might. It might be better that you've already told similar stories three or four times. Then when they run into the problem, they'll actually remember the stories you've been telling. But this is what makes resilient kids are resilient conversations about where mom and dad had to be resilient right? We, we always talk about we want our kids to be more resilient, but the reality is resilient kids are, are groomed and taught by resilient parents and resilient families. So let's make our family conversations part of this process and uh, know that the stories and the sharing of the stories are really what create the more positive, resilient symbols. Make sense? Basic uh, coaching 101 right there. We'll continue the journey. And uh, up next, we're going to continue a discussion we were having last hour and revisit an interview about uh, the impact of why some of our police officers out there in the world might be so stressed. It simply might be the pressures that their administration are putting on them. Welcome back, folks. You know, uh, it seems like nobody has it harder than a police officer in today's day and age. You've got to be ready for so many different things. You've got to be willing to risk your life and uh, really to have the scrutiny of the public and as well as as your bosses, your managers, the administration, city officials, is administration and all of this pressure that, that comes down from above, um, is it corrupting or burdening the justice system? Well, our guest, uh, John Shane, we're revisiting an interview we did with him. He's a professor at uh, the John Jay College of Criminal Justice. And um, he's walking us through an article that he wrote for Marketplace.org titled The Cost of Stress in the Police Force. And I started the interview um, discussing the fact that the current political affairs that are going on in the country seem to have put cops in a position where they just can't win.
7: Yeah, look, there's a lot of good research dating back uh, into the 1940s and the 1950s that talk about difficulties of, of policing. And how police officers are, you know, street corner politicians, and the the sociology of police work that calls for the you know the wisdom of uh, Job and the uh, the strength of Samson and hmm. and may uses this biblical analogy that if, if a man had all these qualities, he might be a good police officer. And there there really is no other profession that is as fragmented as police work. and If you think about the way it's been conceptualized, it's a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, 365-day-of-the-year catch-all agency. When all the other people go home, the people that take care of the trash and the people that take care of the animals and the people that take care of the homeless and the mentally ill, when they all go home at night at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, the only people left are the police. Yeah. And they've got to know a little bit about everything, about how to corral an animal, how to handle a mentally ill person, uh, how to handle the homeless. All these things that really have nothing to do with fighting crime, but yet the public has tasked them with it, and they don't understand the consequences of the fragmentation that they have caused.
2: Oh, totally. What what do you think, um, as... You know, as a researcher, what do you think the impact of having everybody, you know, carrying a body camera? What what will that do? I mean, I guess in the downside, it just seems like well, great now more administration can, you know, micromanage. But in the good side, it's you know maybe every cop now has a backup.
7: Well, look, uh, I was on uh, an evaluation team in the North Police Department in the mid 1990s when we started to pioneer dash-mounted cameras in the vehicles, right? That right. is now morphed into body cameras. Yeah. I, I could tell you from my early experiences that the dash cam video would save a police officer more often than it would hurt a police hmm. officer. And I think uh, as time wears on, we're going to see that with body cameras. Yeah. What we see right now are these sound bites and these snippets of police officers who were either making mistakes who are you know, really engaged in some sort of aberrant behavior. Right. What you don't see are the millions and millions and millions of interactions with citizens where police officers are helping them in some way or providing them with really, really good service. You're not going to see those. They're yeah. not going to make the nightly news. The shooting will, the bad shooting will, but the, the ordinary service call will not.
3: Yeah, so we, I, we do that. I, I
7: uh, believe
2: on this show we do we we always try to do a hero story and the easiest hero story to find honestly is either a firefighter or a police officer and those are stories that aren't always told but it's just where the cop just it's probably what's done every day all day long and and it seems like a big deal because we don't ever hear about it well
7: i you know i i, I should I should say, you're, it's not that you're never going to hear of those stories. I should—I probably shouldn't use such firm language, but what I mean to say is that the media is generally not attracted to those sorts of stories. I, I mean, I praise you for yeah. the effort. Yes,
2: but yeah, they but don't. That's right. Mainstream
7: media, yeah, they're—they're not—they're not really talking about Mm-mm. those things. They consider that well, this is what the police are supposed to do. Yeah. Um. So let's not let's not waste our time talking about the things that they should do.
2: What what's the future? I
7: you, if I were out there today, I'd rather have a body camera than not have one.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would too. And I'd make sure it's on all the time. And I'd make sure I. I mean, you know, frame every picture because I. I want. I want. But see, think of that now. I guess what it is now. It's 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 this trust but verify idea. Now it's really just verify. Trust we may give well, you or we no. may not, but verify it.
7: That's a very good way to put it. Yes, and everything is right away. Let's go back to the body cam. Let's go back to Mm -hmm. the dash cam, and let's verify whether or not what was said was true. And you know those sorts of things have caught citizens in lies about the police officer. Yeah. Uh, But at the same time, it has it has ensnared a few cops that have done uh, the wrong thing. You know, purposely or just you know made made mistakes.
2: Which is good, right? And, and we, we want to stop the, the, that percent from making such serious mistakes. And also we don't want to stress out our cops. We've got about a minute left. What would you say, John, about what's, what could we just do? What should we be like looking for or pushing for from our political leaders maybe that might create a, a healthier, less stressful cop?
7: Well, I think that there's a, there are a number of things. First of all, recruiting, uh, recruiting a, a better quality police officer, and establishing mandatory minimum standards instead of relying on, you know, discretion and discretion or nepotism that have been right. so flagrant in policing for years. Uh, the second thing is providing police officers with the best training possible. There's a wide variety of training uh, all across the country. It's not consistent. A lot of the training does not meet national standards. And the third thing is getting the community and our political leaders to understand what police work is actually like. And you know, running them through what's called a citizen's police academy, where the police department um, takes community leaders, clergy, members of the business community, runs them through what we call a citizen's police academy, uh, generally, about 15 weeks, one a week every night of the week for 15 weeks to explain to them, you know, the constitutional limitations of policing, yeah, and what it's like to be confronted with someone with a gun and make a decision in a fraction of a second.
2: That was John Shane again, professor at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice, trying to help us understand the the cost of. Uh, And the stress that these police officers are undertaking again, they you know, everyone's like, well, yeah, they they signed up for it. But think about their role. Think about the position they've been placed in to um, or put themselves in to protect. And I, I was just speaking with one the other day it's it never ends and a lot of i mean they're not necessarily paid the most but right but you know where they make a lot of money is in overtime not to mention the stress of being having to make a lot of your money working overtime um sometimes dealing with the more difficult uh, aspects and the complex situations that go on so there are obviously some bad eggs, but there also are a lot of pretty amazing uh, people that are sitting in those cars all day and, again, show up and their Their job isn't to just show up at a school where there's a shooting. They actually have to show up and walk in that school or run in that school. So let's be careful. Let's, let's also understand that the stresses are enormous. Uh, mistakes are being made, obviously, but also, a lot of amazing stuff being done every day. So you might want to take a second and thank a police officer that you see um, and also understand that certain uh, certain groups of people, certain cultures, certain uh, racial uh, and, and uh, ethnic backgrounds have not – don't feel like they can just feel safe. Um, notice that there's that disparity too and that's a reality in the world we live in. But I think every one of us could try to make it all a little better for uh, everybody involved in these situations. We'll continue the journey, folks, doing what we can on the show to help you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
3: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Terry and Becca. The gang is gathered. The research is in. And yes, life is difficult. It's official. And, but not for Macron and his wife. Really? No, Emmanuel Macron, president of France, is like, nah no, this is a party. All right. They had a great dinner last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had spring lamb. Yes. Not the fall lamb. Boing. Spring lamb. Yeah. Yeah, the fall lamb, a little gamey. Spring lamb, just, oh, with a little spring mint jelly. Mm.
8: And the spring jambalaya. That's uh, right. I remember jambalaya. now. jambalaya,
2: mm-hmm. And then just some peeps, just some red peeps or pink peeps
4: that'd be great <laughs> watermelon flavored they have peeps on every plate.
2: How does one eat one's peep very carefully so uh a lot going on um well, with uh France, France is trying to push on President Trump a bit to uh to to kind of stick with the iran deal also the climate accord and the climate We've accord about that yeah.
4: The Paris yeah. Climate Accord. There's two issues that President Trump doesn't want to be right. part of, but people are trying to talk to him about it. But the neat thing is even if the U.S. doesn't, Bloomberg said he'd just pay for it out of his own pocket. Right. There's a $4 million, I think, buy-in for the situation that our government has already said they're going to do, except Trump's now backing out yeah. of it. And it's but, not as easy as just to snap your fingers and we're out, though, because of the way the deal was worded. You, there's a several-year right. process. Right. So. You'd have to write – Yeah plus
2: the check you got to write the check yeah so uh, all of that is going on president trump also uh cleaning off the collar of uh president macron he had a little dandruff and the just president to... actually made that comment hey you've got a little bit of dandruff right. all you have to say hey you just got a little lint let me get that for you
4: eh or you could say, hey, you've got some dandruff. Or you don't do anything because yeah. probably no one would see it unless you zoom in real close right. with a camera and then you'll see all kinds of things if you do that. And that, that gets to that magical weird moment
2: like when someone's zipper is down. Do mm. you say something when you know, they've got something in their nose? Do you say something?
8: Well, I would think that a true friend would say something but maybe not in front of tons of reporters and cameras. But what if
2: you're a true, true friend? Then you would.
8: A true friend would say the thing you said, I think, about lint.
4: Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Yeah.
8: We're like, hey, mosquito, let me get that.
4: Just seemed like not the moment for that. Yeah. Maybe in the hallway or... He probably didn't see it then. Because at some point they go, okay, we're done, and kick everybody out of the room. Then you deal with it.
2: Yeah. Right.
4: Because the funny thing is
2: the press probably wouldn't have ever written an article saying, no way, Emmanuel Macron has dandruff. Right. No one would say that, but the president did. But that's the hard part about being the president. He he needs some moisturizing shampoo. Yeah. The rest of us have to only be right one in a thousand times, but the president has to always be right, Yeah, even when he's wrong.
8: I'm not seeing any updates about whether or not uh, the the president of France has a chip on his shoulder about that.
2: Well, I don't think it was that big. (laughs) Could have been. I don't know. (laughs) No, but seriously, folks, we're here all day. Try the roast beef. Um, let's get to the headlines then, Terry. What else
4: should we be worrying about other than his lapel? Several headlines that the president may not enjoy. His pick for the uh, Veterans Affairs Administration, the former White House doctor. His He was supposed to have his uh, hearings today on where he, whether he was going to be appointed to that position or not. That's been postponed. Some allegations have come forward yeah. about... Uh, what uh, prescribing pills, uh, d- drunken exploits yeah. and uh, a, a, a atmosphere of hostility in his under his management at the White House, I guess. so mm-hmm. just different things they're investigating those things, and now it looks like he may not progress to that point of actually becoming the head of the VA. Also, a federal judge ruled on Tuesday that Trump administration must temporarily resume. Uh, the DACA program that shields some undocumented immigrants from deportation, the judge said the Department of Homeland Security must accept and process new as well as renew DACA applications. And mm-hmm. this all has to do with the whole point of why they blocked it. It was unclear and you need to figure this out. So it's a temporary situation, but, it, you know. In that fight, it's not what the White House would want. Right. Also, the Supreme Court today will close out their session's oral arguments with a challenge to Trump's cha- uh, travel ban. It's Trump versus Hawaii is the case, if you want to look at it, and it will decide the legality of Trump's third travel ban which was a revision of the first two which were found by other courts to be not permissible and right all that stuff so all that stuff's happening today also the new york times reports that mick mulvaney president donald trump's budget director and acting chief of the consumer financial protection bureau reportedly encouraged bank executives and lobbyists to participate in pay-to-play schemes mulvaney also said that when he served as congressman As a congressman, he would only meet with lobbyists who had donated to his campaign. If you're a lobbyist who never gave us money, I didn't talk to you. If you're a lobbyist who gave us money, I might talk to you, he said, adding that he would talk to his constituents without exception, regardless of financial contributions. Mulvaney's spokesperson said his boss was making the point, that hearing from people back home was vital to our democratic process and the most important thing our representatives can, can do. It's more important than lobbyists and it's more important than money, except what he said there is the lobbyist gives me money, I might talk to him. Yeah. Oh, boy. If you don't give me money, I'm never going to talk to you, which, I don't know. Saying Well, that- that, Becca said the exact same thing.
2: Right. When she was applying for the job, I'm like, would you just come talk to us for free? And she's like, no, only
4: if you give me money. Time is money. Man. No. A few months ago, Kim Jong-un was a little rocket man and sick puppy to the president. Uh, now he's very honorable. Trump disclo- discussed his impending meeting with the leader of North Korea amid Tuesday's White House visit with French President Emmanuel Macron. It's no set date for the summit yet, but Trump said that Kim, him and Kim, have agreed to meet as soon as possible. Kim uh, has been very open, and the two men have a very good discussions prior to the meeting. Uh, Trump's effused. Yeah. I don't know. Very positive about yeah. though he did clarify that he's still not sure if the meeting will be wonderful and is prepared to walk out of it if it's not. See, uh, but I he's mean, an honorable guy. Well, and I think that puppy. just shows
2: you I mean, the president, this is what he's really good at is being willing to say whatever has to be said. Other people would have been hindered by, you know, his human rights violations, right. his other issues, but not President Trump. He's like, no, I mean, he's a he's a honorable person, which is I mean, that says a lot. That's
4: setting up the fact that he can now meet with him. Absolutely! Wow. Also, uh, remember the whole Takata airbag situation? Yeah. Hondas Blowing and a up, bunch of different cars. People, yeah. You exploding have, uh, airbags that would explode and shrapnel would come right? flying. It's out. It's like a cell phone. And then they put out a huge recall. Get to your dealer. Get yeah. your. It's free. Just go get it replaced. Apparently, there's sixty two thousand three hundred seven vehicles on the road that still haven't gotten their airbag fixed. Uh-oh. And now you get this situation where you sell a car and the car moves different hands and people don't know what going on or yeah. don't even know there's a recall, and you have what they're calling a ticking time bomb sitting in front of you that could go off at any moment when you run into what, somebody. So if you have a Honda, you should probably check. Yes. Look for look for
2: the bag, see if, see if there's a tag that says, hey, we've got a new airbag.
4: The Department of Transportation, I believe, is what they're calling it. Their worst device is known as Alphas. The driver's, uh, driver's side bag has a 50-50 chance of exploding with shrapnel after a fender bender.
0: 50 50?
4: Yeah. Holy cow. So, you know, go get it checked out. My wife and I, her car, we went and got that fixed. Easy process. Yeah. It well, takes time, or but. Just arm her up. Arm her up. Wear a helmet, face shield. I mean. Yeah.
2: Well,
4: that's I mean, the hard... with the
8: way I drive, that's kind of actually how I go out most days.
4: I noticed it seems that. Seems safe. That's the jujitsu in you. Finally, yeah. the world's largest cockroach farm is breeding 6 billion adult cockroaches a year. And using artificial intelligence to manage a colony larger than the world's human population. Wow. And it's all for medicinal use. Medicinal cockroaches? Says the Chinese government. It is part of a production process for a, quote, healing potion consumed by millions of patients in China, according to the government. There are many cockroaches breeding facilities in China for use as an ingredient in medicine or as a source of protein for livestock, but wow. no other facility can match the productivity of this farm in central China. Nearly 28,000 full-size cockroaches per square foot are produced there annually, the local government said in the report. uh, It is the first time in history so many uh, cockroaches have been confined and bred in one spot. The project has achieved so many scientific and technological breakthroughs that it deserves a national science award. The provincial government said the farm is operated by a pharmaceutical company which confirmed the the validity of the government document but could not answer the questions about the potion because it's a matter of trade secrets. Yeah, you don't want to do it any other way. So according to a 2011 report by the government, hold your breath and you'll... So someone went on a tour of the facility. Oh, wow. Right? So in the report in 2011, it said "You when you walk in the door, he goes, you hold your breath and you only hear a rustling sound. Like someone's in a bag. like, a rustling, like the beginning
8: of a Spider-Man movie.
4: Like a rustling of leaves. Yeah. Oh, I bet the that new sounds new Marvel generation. Because there's so many... Except Just you, like you, leaves you, in you, a Vermont you, windstorm. You know it's not leaves... Yeah. Right. And um they said it, it, whenever flashlights swept the cockroaches would just you'd see them just whoosh disappear. Do you know what would be fun is to
2: take someone in there without telling them that this is a cockroach
4: oh, no. breeding <laughs> ground. That wherever the beam landed you would hear a a sound like wind blowing through leaves as everything moved out of the way from the light. It's it's like <sighs> mostly darkness and I don't know why but this reminds me of my
2: LDS mission trip.
4: Just
8: creepy. Mm. Uh-oh. Oh, Where we oh, actually
2: took a cockroach and we froze it. We put it in the freezer, just and, to see what would happen. And amazingly, it was seemingly dead. Oof. And then we thawed it out, and it was alive again.
8: Yikes! Yikes!
2: The cockroaches are amazing.
8: Well, isn't it? Isn't it said that the things that will exist, like at, after the end of the world, are cockroaches and Twinkies?
2: Oh yeah. Something like that. Well, I like half of that.
8: Hey, there you go. I just, I'm just amazed that they had a cockroach farm. I was sitting there thinking, because we don't have enough.
6: Yeah.
2: Yeah, We need to breed these
8: salmon farms. I understand because we're you know overfishing the seas, but yeah,
2: yeah. The, I've always found with a salmon farm, it's just hard to get the salmon to um like to just graze <laughs> every time we'd set them out <laughs> on the farm, they would just like dry up and die. Man, yeah, maybe we were doing it wrong. I mean, I I'm not a farmer, you
8: know? maybe, yeah, maybe you need to introduce a predator or something, just
2: yeah. I don't know what more it
8: lively salmon in your pastures.
2: I don't know. They just salmon don't handle dirt very well. I f- I found them kind of lazy that way.
8: Mm-hmm. Poor attitude. That yeah. was it. Not that your fault, man. No,
2: not my fault. Just poor attitude with those salmon. All right, uh, we'll be uh, continuing the journey, folks. In a minute, we'll be talking about the impact of our emotions, our depression, and and how easy it is to really. Uh, fall into kind of a dark part of life and how to find the light and, and use the light to help us get out. This is the Matt Townsend Show helping us be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we've got a great treat uh, today. Again, Gaina Lynn Condi joins us. She's an author, recently published her book, You Are Magnificent. She's a popular motivational speaker, has appeared on many television and radio shows. And uh, we love having her on because she's so real. Thanks. And I mean that in the best way possible.
0: It's what I try to lead out with.
2: By the way, you have a son abroad on an LDS mission trip.
0: Zimbabwe.
2: Zimbabwe. The
0: bottom of Africa.
2: And interestingly, the leader of the Mormon church...
0: Was just there. Was
2: just there. He shows up...
0: Shakes my kid's hand. How cool is that? Well, so way cool, except for for those that are of LDS orientation, you know you get one email a week, Yeah. right? Yeah. So we've been on pins and needles waiting yeah, to hear.
2: Because you knew he was going to be there.
0: Right. So we know it happened Tuesday last week, so we were waiting, waiting Monday. My son gets transferred. We hear this from someone. So we haven't even heard from him. So oh, we wow. did. We so did see news media yeah. reports. Yeah. And that's how we got the video. It was way cool. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it is cool. You're Be- blessed. Just to, you know, see your kid walking and breathing. Oh, maybe. no. Just.
2: Yeah. Without a worm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we talked about that. Last yeah. Time. <laughs> I mean, we need yeah. an update on that. But yeah. whatever.
2: We'll get we'll get to the update on the worm. Yeah. <laughs> But by the way, every LDS missionary has, you know, brought home a worm or two.
0: Uh, this is true.
2: I, I brought home two, Slick and Slider. <laughs> I even named mine because they were—I thought they were very close to me. <laughs> Which they usually are. They're way (laughs) close. It's almost like, I don't know, it's like they they knew me from the inside out.
0: (laughs) They understood you.
2: It's kind of gross, but totally true. So talk to me about, I mean, depression, about life. Life is hard.
0: Yeah, so I don't mean to be Debbie Downer today, but I appreciate you saying I'm real. You are
2: real. I love that.
0: I. You know, as I was driving in today to the studio... Probably in twenty four thirty six hours I've had four direct messages of people that are suicidal or someone they love oh that wow. is
2: but that's because you've talked about this a lot in the past, mm-hmm. and so everyone now thinks that they can go to Gailen and talk about
0: yeah, it yeah, so my forty year old sister committed suicide four years ago, mm. and i've I speak a lot, but I always squeeze it in there, yeah. And it's the elephant in the room. It's the thing no one wants to really talk about. But, it's, it.
2: but by the way, you saying it helps us name, helps, name it way, to tame it. Name it to tame it, and then four people want more help from it, so they they now know they can go to you.
0: Yeah, and you know what? I had a I have a close friend that super articulate in giving me a word picture on my role because I have a minor in psychology, which gets me nothing. <laughs> call ta- call Dr. Matt Townsend yeah, if you that. really want real well, you know professional advice on this um but i will have the conversation i'll have it on a stage or in a book right yeah and she said i see you as the person in the middle of the turnabout on the road yeah and you are literally just saying, Kate, okay, go in that direction. Kate, okay, turn, that's you know, cool. go yeah. there. And I thought that's, that's healthy for me to yeah. not take ownership mm-hmm. and try to save. But I do feel like it's a matter of life and death. Right? You're like so, a signal. You can a signal. signal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thought I wanted to share is that a lot of people think suicide rates are highest during the holidays. Mm-hmm. And actually it's, it's uh, March to May.
6: Which oh, my spring. Yeah, that's spring. sad. Yeah.
0: And the weather changes and you mm-hmm. think, oh, it's sunshiny, but any school teacher listening right now knows everyone has lost their living mind at yeah. school. They're
2: they're all stressed out right? of their head, right?
0: And so if anyone's been on the edge holding on tight yeah. all through the winter, that's it can kind of trigger. So I think just be aware mm. that the people that you know that may be struggling may be struggling more now and you're not thinking that because you're not someone That's dealing with depression and anxiety and you're happy that the flowers are coming up and the sun is shining. Yeah. So reach out to some of those people. And then the other awareness I've had just in the last few days is classically I say this, but every time I'm still surprised I found out someone that's um, taking some antidepressants, I never even knew they had struggled. Had zero because we
2: hide it so well, right? Don't
0: we? Right, and I and I often say, church, work, school, wherever you're associating with people on a regular basis, don't assume the happiest, most helpful helpful person yeah. is not the one probably dying inside, right? Right. Yeah, because totally. right, they're the ones that are smiling mm-hmm. and have have probably learned some good coping skills. Yeah,
2: I see the most successful people, the beautiful, the the healthiest, the wealthiest, the richest. The most troubled, yeah. It's all. So what that tells us is everyone,
0: everyone. That's yep. that's why I'm willing to have a conversation about that's it, cool. no matter where, you know, a, a corporate event or an educational event or whatever. Yeah, I'll squeeze it in there. Um, the thought I have to share often on this is it's a complicated issue, and it's requiring big toolboxes.
6: Mm. True.
0: So my refrigerator breaks and the screwdriver doesn't fit. Yeah, I don't say, oh, I guess we're never getting that. Guess we'll
2: never eat again. Yeah,
0: we're never gonna get the you know milk out for my cocoa puffs because yeah. you know yeah. the the handle doesn't work. You go back to the toolbox and you find the screwdriver that fits, and then you go straight up right so true. to try it again. So hope is about coming up with the next plan B. Yeah,
2: how do you do that? Like, I mean, and you're I, th- I think you're uniquely gifted at helping. People find hope, but how how do you find hope, and where do you turn?
0: So I'm going to be really honest with your listeners. I've struggled this week. I've had one of those weeks having, where
2: just having any hope,
0: just feeling depleted, yeah, on edge. Um, I reached out to a friend of mine that's a therapist, right? And she's a friend, and so I texted she, her. You don't have to pay her. Yeah, I texted her on a <laughs> Sunday night. Showed up in my PJs, crying and. She said all the things I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what I realized, though, is I wasn't seeking for the support I needed. Yeah, interesting. And what I was doing for self-care still wasn't cutting it, right? So there's times and seasons where maybe the tool you're using isn't working. Right. That's why... Surround yourself with just a couple of people that are willing to help you keep building that toolbox.
2: And if you, and if you, I guess that's the idea. So if this one's not working, but keep reaching yeah, for the next one. Yeah. So you need so more and more.
0: One of my favorite tools I share that literally always gets a pretty good response is massage. Oh yeah. And everyone's like, "What?" And and after Meg's suicide, my my grief was like the grief was in my bones, in my muscles. Oh, I wow. felt it physically. Yeah. So regular massage kind of has helped work me that out. work that out, right? That's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of happiness research, right? Yeah. And I, I believe strongly in getting enough sleep and
2: Have you heard about exercising. the cold shower one?
0: No. <laughs>
2: it's true. Apparently what? taking colder showers makes you less depressed.
0: That seems counterintuitive.
2: And po- because have you ever noticed that like when, you, when you're having a warm, nice, hot shower, you tend to stay in there uh, longer? And it actually it does something where it kind of saps you slows and drains you, down. you. But then by, so they even say, take a hot shower, take whatever shower you and want. Then and cold. then at the end, just slowly start ratcheting up the cold and then spend the last minute in there in more cold water. And it actually apparently kicks in your fight or flight response. Which then turns on more of your survival instincts, and you create a different chemistry.
0: There you have it, folks.
2: The, now that's cold showers, and yeah. it's, it's also good if you're lonely. <laughs> so it's it kind of and, it helps in a variety of ways.
0: And I heard it's good for the shine in your hair. Oh, really? Uh huh.
2: Yeah. yeah. I, I've never worried about that. Yeah. But that's <laughs> this interesting. is
0: how less complicated it is for men.
2: <laughs> <It's> all... <laughs>
0: Let's just break it down. Hold on,
2: women worry about the shine in their hair. <laughs> Man, your hair's oh, so dull. How do you say that? I mean, like, do people full look at dull industry. And shine oh, I did not know. Full that.
0: industry on just shining hair. Well, you know how you I do it. You last... don't
2: wash your hair. If you don't wash it, it gets a little shiny. Oh, sheen. there's an
0: industry for that too. It's called dry shampoo. <laughs> oh, last brother. time I was here, I taught you about Instapot. I know
2: you're teaching me a lot. Yeah. I appreciate hair. that. You're uh, this
0: is It's a twofer today. It's a total twofer.
2: <laughs> uh, it's so sad. <laughs> anyway, we're speaking with Gaina Lynn Condi. Uh, go to her website, gainalin.com and um she's teaching us today some tools one thing uh, you need a bigger toolbox
0: bigger toolbox so that the hope is the plan b it oh. hope is not a feeling
2: hopes yeah so that's the se- that's kind of the that's the second thing we'll do yeah first let's do what we can do
0: right and then th- this same therapist friend of mine taught me this principle and I share it in the book that's out right now that We often think like, well, I'm not feeling hopeful. It's not a feeling. Yeah. Hope is based on the next plan B. That's assuming plan A is not going to work, which gives me like permission to be like, why is everybody else like figuring out their life and mine's falling apart? Everybody else's kids going to Harvard. Everybody else's marriage is fabulous. Everyone else lost 25 pounds last week. No, no, no. Yeah. So think of the plan B. Mm -hmm. Right. And that. If you think about it, surround yourself with people that are like, wait, have you considered? Yeah, what about this? Yeah. What about this? And that helps you continue to stay in the game. I like that. Yeah?
2: I also like macaroni and cheese. It's my plan B usually.
0: And Will Ferrell movies.
2: I love those. Elf
0: in July. It's yes. fine.
2: It's totally fine. I and mean, Christmas
0: music. My kids think yeah, I need to see a therapist. Now, what's just about that about? Because you
2: brought that up before too. I have? Yeah, what's what's with the Christmas music? Thing?
0: Listen, the other day I have packing anxiety. I'm going to California this weekend to speak, yeah. week, and I'm a very organized person. So everyone's kind of shocked when I share that tidbit. Yeah, I hate it. I hate thinking of all the options well, you of need the a weather. Bunch of, yeah. And I always want to get everything done at home. I'm big on I want to come home to everything done. Yeah. So the other day I had to – I wanted to go through my closet and donate stuff I wasn't using, and I just was dragging. I thought <laughs> this this calls for some good old Bing Crosby white Christmas.
2: No, really? <laughs> I
0: really did. And I turned it up just to the level that no one in my house could actually hear unless they came into the closet. I got it done in 15 minutes. I was done,
2: and it just somehow reignites you. Yeah, it lights a fire in you. Uh,
0: it does, but it's a complicated thing now because that's when my boy comes home too. That's when my boy left. Yeah, so now it's crazy. Yeah. So now I'm having emotion that has nothing to do with.
2: <laughs> I think I know why you had a hard week.
0: I know it's true. No, that's. I think it's good, but you and I have talked off air that um, it's complicated about having your kid come no, home, too. it really is. He comes home in seven months, you know, and all of a sudden <sighs> I'm like, ah, yeah, are we then, ready yeah. for this? Mm-mm. Yeah, because we've gone to a new yeah, normal. It's true. I hope huh? he doesn't ever hear that. But he won't. <laughs> I want you home, bud. I, I do, I do. I want you
2: home, but then but then we have to go You're to the gonna next You're going to go to BYU level.
0: and live with Matt Townsend. Yeah, we'll
2: we'll coach him up here. Yeah. Um, what else What else helps us through these darker times? Well, I think, Or the loss, even, of others?
0: I think, um, for me, journaling's huge. And I think um, be aware of your isolation. That's why I reached Mm. out to that friend on Sunday. Yeah. So one of the falsities that start to feel super true for someone that has long-term struggles with depression and anxiety, we're not talking 15-year-olds that think high school is how their life is going to be forever, right? We're talking you've been fighting this for a while and you're getting tired. The truth is we will not be better without you. Right. The lie that we start to believe is— you know what, I'm dragging the whole world down and I should just check out. So you have to kind of challenge that. Yeah. This this same friend on Sunday said, okay, for this week, you can't trust anything your brain's saying. And it's that's great. been, that that's was really, advice. my husband turned 50 yesterday.
7: Oh, happy birthday.
0: Yeah, and i I was involved in two surprise parties for him, which almost put me over the edge. How nice of you, though. <laughs> by last night, by the second one, there was such a relief and I looked at him in the middle of the, you know, the surprise happened and I said, This explains some of my crazy the last four days. Yeah, this is it. I couldn't tell you what was really going on.
2: (laughs) But don't trust what you're thinking.
0: Yeah, and in that moment, she wasn't saying forever and ever. Yeah. It's just that you're in a place right now where you're needing some additional support. You're running on a little empty. You're emotionally drained. And until you get some of those things taken care of. So I would invite listeners that have decided at any level that the world will be better without them to not trust that. Don't trust that. That's a big fat lie. We will not be better without you. Even if you think your family, your extended family, your friend group is so sick of hearing and seeing your depression. It's okay. It's not true. I would give anything to have Meg right back.
2: Yeah, because they still – they'd have to then process that. Yes. So they still have all of their other problems of life and they have to process that.
0: And I would just say this. I'm very aware of my inadequacies. I'm not so aware of yours, yeah. Matt. So true. I don't think you have any, but i I'm do. Just... – I'll give
2: you a list. That's why my wife always tells me not to trust anything I'm thinking. <laughs> She says the same thing to me, but I think it's different advice, yeah, than what you got,
0: uh, yeah, and I think what she was trying to say is' because I tend to be too much into solution mode sometimes, yeah. I don't want to get stuck in victim, yeah slow so down. I'm always like, hey what 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 should I do next?" And she's like, "Hey, how about just some self compassion?" So I would say, in closing, that yeah. would be one of my final tools is are you talking to yourself as gently as you talk to your friends? Oh, that's cool. Amen, I don't
2: no, we don't do that, mm. do we 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 beat ourselves yeah. up so bad, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, not fair. even yesterday, the surprise party. How'd that go? <laughs> it it went it went well, but he said when I when we everyone was hiding in the basement and when I said well, he thought we were going down for presents, and when I said why don't you go down first, he knew. That was a half a second before everyone said. Surprise. So you kind of ruined it. Yeah, and what do you think? <laughs> All morning I've been like replaying in my mind as if we're going to do it again. Right? I was yeah. like, oh, I could have said. Oh wait, go ahead, go down and circle back. Yeah. I just didn't want to be the first one down and have them all go surprise. And then he was behind me, so I sent him down first. And why am I replaying that?
2: Well, you got to let that go, don't you?
0: Right. So that's my point: is that self compassion will be like, I rocked it as yeah. a wife. I, well,
2: and maybe yeah, and maybe reframe it that it wasn't about who was first.
0: Yeah, and or that he had a clue in his head yeah. two seconds before it didn't take away from the joy of the people that right. showed up and that's the right. experience. And it was
2: still shocking because even then he didn't know who was there yeah. and what was going on. Right.
0: And so yeah. depression and anxiety I think is a lot of that getting stuck in your thinking. And I you know that. this. No, with but that's powerful. Working with clients, right? Is yeah. that you just continually replay, replay, replay and 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 I would just say for those that are out there that deal with long term depression and anxiety Or those that have attempted suicide and are with us still. Mm -hmm. You're the strongest people I know. You're amazing. You are. You know, I've had, uh, I I spoke at one point to a lockdown facility of girls. Mm. And I had this girl that wouldn't look up, hair in the face, scars all over her body, you know, pregnant, but young. And finally, she asked a question and looked up and said, what do you think about, I had shared about my sister. And she said, what do you think about those that have tried? And I said, what do I think about it? She's like, yeah, what do you think of those kind of people? I said, those kind of people are the strongest people I know. Yeah. She's like, what? Tears coming, right? Yeah. Because obviously she had been there. Yeah. I said, they've stayed in the fight, in the game, when all evidence has pointed towards giving up. Yeah. Right? Right. So I I would just say, get tools and fill the toolbox with all the crazy stuff. Massage, crazy oils, medicine, good therapists. Cold showers. Yeah. Cold showers. Little feral movies. Christmas music. <laughs> All of that. Yeah. And then and then make sure you're not isolating.
2: Yeah. No, oh, that's beautiful. That's the way I mean, again, it's fairly simple but hard.
0: It is hard. But simple. Yeah. The same therapist friend. She said, I teach all this, right? But I forget it too, yeah, right? do. You know? We all do. Yeah, yeah. It's human nature, right?
2: And, and again, exactly. And you're, which just means you're, that's why you're needed. Because as you're going through this battle, you help us understand it better.
0: Well, as Brene Brown says, braving the wilderness is messy. Yeah. And if you're willing to be in the arena then you get to have a comment about my life. That's if you're right. not willing to be in the arena, which, then, Matt, you are. Then shut it. Thanks for being in the arena.
2: Thank you for coming and Absolutely. Uh, being part of the arena. Anytime. You're in the arena, too. Gaina Lynn Condy is her name. You won't want to miss it. Go to her website, Gaina ganelly G A N E L L Y N dot com. Craziest name ever! Ever, her mother really wanted to me. teach her a lesson. <laughs> Character, Ganelin Condi, she's incredible. Uh, we'll continue the journey more straight ahead. A little uh, empty news. This is the Matt Townsend show.
3: Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's
4: Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play
6: ball.
2: Welcome back, friends, to the show. So much uh, left to cover in just so little time. We've got to get to some of our empty news headlines. Uh, how about this one? Like, you apply for a job. Everyone loves a good job application, right? A woman applies for a job at a New Hampshire county jail um, and has been arrested because it turns out she was wanted in on a charge in Maine. Like, I guess she forgot that, as she was applying for a police job. Police say Christina Hoffs of Manchester applied for the job on Friday at Hillsborough County Department of Corrections. But workers soon realized that she was uh, being sought on a theft-related offense in Maine. Hoffs was taken into custody and taken to the police headquarters. She was scheduled for arraignment Monday. It's unknown if Hoffs' uh, lawyer um, – who is Hoffs' lawyer and no phone number can be found, so – she wasn't able to comment on that. Just remember that. Like when we did your background check, Becca, we learned a lot.
8: Oh yeah. Like you had oh, yeah. escaped
2: from Clown College.
8: I did. Yep.
2: And then you had that jujitsu. An elephant with me. Yeah, that aggravated assault with jujitsu. Oh
8: charge. right, forgot about that. Yeah, in Brazil. Yeah,
2: those were the days. Yeah. Be careful. Just be careful. Uh, a woman sues an Italian restaurant after a lasagna explodes. What? Yeah, volatile. i got a Illinois... lot of explosions on the show today. I know, it's crazy. Exploding it... Hondas and... Hondas and lasagnas. <laughs>
8: lasagnas.
2: An Illinois woman is suing an Italian restaurant claiming an order of lasagna left her with mental anguish when it exploded with piping hot marinara sauce and burned her as she dug into it. three Ooh. Ah. Ah. That's some hot lasagna. Teresa Thomas filed the suit in Cook County Circuit Court seeking $50,000 from the restaurant. The alleged marinara blow-up happened when Thomas and her husband were having lunch at a restaurant on December 7th this past year. Thomas placed her left hand in her lap, picked up a fork with her right hand, and touched the tower of layered pasta, meat, sauce, and cheese uh, with a fork. And right when when she touched it, upon contact with the fork, um, and without any warning, piping hot marinara sauce shot ugh. from the lasagna and onto Teresa's left hand, scalding the skin and causing a large burn.
8: That sounds horrible. It sounds
2: horrible. I mean Like – You're just there to eat.
8: Yeah. And the next I mean, thing I, you know, you're But I also don't know how you prevent that kind of a thing. It's, yeah, no.
2: I mean we've all – you know, we've all had something happen like that, right? Something like r- – Right. Lime in your eye when there's someone squeezing a lime. Well,
8: exa- exactly. Something right. like that, you know. Is, but
2: I guess that's not burning, but ugh. that's burning. If you've ever had lime in your eye. So unpleasant. And by the way, ruined my favorite meal because I love lasagna. So be careful out there. You never know when your lasagna is going to explode. Who knows? Uh, the, case, um, the case is now going to go to court and we'll see how that turns out. We'll see if we, can, if we can have Terry remember to do an update on the exploding lasagna. Oh,
8: yeah, we should. One more place I have to wear my full body armor too. Olive
2: Garden. <laughs> totally. It never ends. Uh, this is crazy. Over 50 dead geese. Suddenly fall from the sky in an Idaho storm. Ooh. More than 50 geese fall from the sky and into Idaho Falls parking lot Saturday evening. Hold it. That is when I was in Idaho Falls.
8: Whoa. Well, I mean, you know, they if my correlation isn't causation, that sounds that. pretty suspicious. That is a
2: big deal. The Idaho Department of Fish and Game Conservation officers believe the birds were struck by lightning <gasps> during a ferocious hail and thunderstorm between oh. 7.30 and oh. 8 p.m. See, All... I was
8: thinking, like, why would they just fall in a parking lot? But if it was lightning. Yeah. Yikes. Boom.
2: One just, I guess, one gaggle of geese
8: <laughs> right?
2: were, you know, whatever, electrocuted. Jeez.
8: Thank goodness.
2: All the geese were dead and fell from the sky at the same time in a in several hundred yard radius, according to the spokesperson. That leads him to believe it was a lightning strike.
8: Oh, time, wrong place.
2: Holy cow! And that I was right there. I I thought it would have been my date night because we killed it.
8: I'm glad it was the geese, not you, Matt.
2: Yeah, I'd feel bad if I killed a bunch of geese.
8: Yeah,
2: gaggle. <laughs> That's crazy, man. Can you imagine just be sitting there eating your hot lasagna? hmm The next thing you know, bam, 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 all these geese are falling from the sky like, like the hailstones were the size of geese.
8: <laughs> Sounds like a bad dream. from
2: the sky.
8: Sounds like the kind of thing you wake up from and then you're not sure if you should actually yeah. tell anyone about because you don't want to sound yeah. crazy.
2: Yeah, but it's not a dream when you go out and you're like peeling a goose off your hood. <laughs> oh. I, mean, I mean that in the best way possible. Uh, Last story for the empty news segment is a burglar broke down a door, but the only thing missing needed uh, that was the fact that they were missing barbecue sauce. A door to a Columbia, South Carolina resident was damaged during a recent burglary. And the only thing reportedly missing um, at the house of the residents was food, specifically chicken nuggets. Actually, two chicken nuggets. Just two, two nuggets.
8: How, how did they know? Were they counting?
2: Uh huh. No, don't. You always count your nuggets. Oh well. Yeah, Mama said always count your nuggets. The incident occurred April first. An unknown suspect entered the residence by kicking in the back door, destroying the door frame. According to police report, two footprints were seen on the door. Uh, according to the report, and two chicken nuggets were also removed from the refrigerator. The damage to the door is valued at one hundred dollars. Uh, but the chicken nuggets are valued at one dollar. Wow! So a net loss of one hundred and I guess one dollars. One
8: hundred and one dollars.
2: The incident remains under investigation by the Columbia Police Department.
8: Boy, that's just odd. Isn't that weird? If you go to all the trouble to break someone's door down and
2: I'm if, if I'm, I mean, I'm going to if I'm a betting man, there's probably more missing, and this person doesn't know it.
8: They just don't know yet.
2: They don't know that they're check for the pearls. There's a set of pearls that are missing.
8: They came home, saw the door was gone and said, check the fridge.
2: <laughs> a, are my nuggets, nuggets here? <laughs> no way. Did they eat my nuggets?
8: And the sauce too. Can't even enjoy the rest Seriously, of them. Seriously, nobody
2: breaks in for nuggets. That
8: sounds like a hate crime. Yeah, totally. Ugh. Yeah.
2: So that's the, that's the empty news, folks. It Boy. could be worse. Somebody could have taken your nuggets or electrocuted your gaggle.
8: Or exploded lasagna oh, all over hot you. Hot
2: lava lasagna.
8: I'm coming away from today feeling very grateful.
2: I am. I am too. Lucky to be alive. And hey, feel free to drive by and get some more nuggets if you'd so, if you're so inclined. Up next, we'll visit with our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation and find out what's coming up on their show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. It's time to head down to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation and find out what's coming up on their show today. Spencer and Jerem, how are you, brethren?
9: Oh, we are great. We're just watching old Major League Baseball bench-clearing brawls. Yeah, we were talking about...
1: When's the last time you punched someone in the face? Uh, yesterday. <laughs> oh, sorry. Was that rhetorical? Started, yeah. Then we started talking about uh, baseball brawls, which are awesome.
2: don't, don't you? I mean, what was the last time you just had like a bench-clearing brawl? I mean, I know that goes on a lot this down there time, at Sports this Nation. This one time, rival
1: show, yeah. Gonzaga Sports Nation. Yes. Game, and, oh, it was on, man.
2: Do you remember that? That was mad. Actually, oh. we would
1: just hug it out with them. Yeah. If it was St. Mary's, though, or Utah, it'd be. it's different. Yeah, story.
2: come on, man. You don't hit in the face. Yeah. yeah,
1: we're not we're not like the gymnastics team where they're hugging Shannon Evans after that.
2: Right,
9: right. I hate you, Gonzaga sports nation, but <laughs> gosh darn it, I respect
6: you.
1: <laughs> we're waiting for uh, we're waiting for another show to become our brother. Yeah, show. you you need a brother show That's that you brother can, show. that you can There's wrestle with something at Texas or something mm.
9: perhaps on the Longhorn Network.
2: Ooh, I think we've already got an idea of brewing there, boys. Okay. Um, hey, Oh, go ahead. I was going to just say, uh, talk to me about Cody Wilstead.
9: Cody Wilstead, who has gone the community college route as a quarterback after transferring from BYU. Can't blame him. There were eight quarterbacks at the time. He said, okay, you know what? I'm going to try and go somewhere else.
1: So he's going to, what is it? Coffeyville? Coffeyville? Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what. The class uh, schedule is going to be a lot better than BYU. It's going to be a lot easier. Dude's going to get A's (laughs) on A's. Totally. His
2: GPA is going to be, woo. He'll be the talk of the campus.
1: He'll be the talk of the county.
2: It's um and so so I guess I guess that's just what happens. When you recruit a lot of great talent, some just can't stay.
1: Yeah, and that I still think that will happen here. I still think there will be More. a transfer. Yeah. There's just too many good players.
2: Too many guys. Like too competitive. They want to yeah. play. Well and they're young, a lot of youngins. Yeah,
6: yeah
1: and, and the future's bright and that's great. Unfortunately, this, you can't uh, you can't hold on to all those fish once you get them out of the water.
2: Have you guys decided if it's best to raise the pups up and let them play young, or do you just kind of defer to the old ones?
1: I am a defer-to-the-old-ones guy, uh, although nowadays it is hard to keep someone if you don't give them a little uh true, huh? time early. In the 80s, this isn't the 80s, I realize that, but in the 80s, uh, when BYU was really good, they would play juniors and seniors.
2: <laughs> Period.
1: Yeah, it just—it just you had to earn it. It yeah. took a while. I mean, BYU did play a freshman here, and it did not work recently. Yeah, that uh, was rough. MJ keeps Tanner Mangum played as a freshman. It worked, but then he hasn't been the same player since that year, and there are some reasons for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're hoping that Tanner Mangum can can uh, become
2: 2015 Tanner Mangum
1: again.
6: Mm. This
2: is exciting, guys,
6: isn't
1: it?
2: Anything else on the show that we uh, that you want to tease us with? BOA's playing Boise State on a
1: Saturday. Do you like that? They've only played one game on a Saturday before. Mm-hmm.
6: Really?
2: Yep. Might. Eight,
1: eight times. That's right, eight Let's times. Let's say only one time in Boise on a Saturday. Let me clarify.
2: Well, why, why does it matter if it's Saturday or Friday? No, BYU's
9: never played on a Saturday in Boise.
2: Oh, really? So, this is, so this is going to, Okay. This is Typically, they break. take
9: that Thursday or Friday night spotlight yeah, on ESPN,
1: ESPN. And it's a big uh, opportunity for both teams. And that's how Boise State was built. They were built on these Fridays and Saturdays. You're right. One, one game. And it was in Provo. And it was in Provo. Mm. BYU won because they connected on a Hail Mary. Oh, yeah. Those were the days.
9: So, so do you like the Saturday showdown on the Boise Blue? That's never happened.
1: BYU is probably playing against Wyoming. Do you mm-hmm. like that? Just and, throw back to old days. Yeah. I thought we avoided the Laramie.
9: That'll include a road trip to Laramie at some point, according uh, to that report. And a
1: college basketball commission proposal on some rule changes and some yes. adjustments. We'll tell you about those. Oh, and what okay. impact they could have on the Cougars.
2: Guys, pay the players, Matt. That's what I've been saying for years. Pay everyone, pay everyone more. Well, that's a good show, guys. Spencer and Jerem—they'll be up uh, in about five short minutes, right here on BYU Radio. But uh, you're not going to want to miss it. They're, they not—they not only make it fun, they make it, uh, you know, engaging for everyone. And then every once in a while, they just say something crazy. As you know, we always like to end the show with a hero story. Our hero today is a medic with the Washington National Guard. He's being credited with saving the life of a young girl who was found unresponsive in the back of an SUV, according to a recent press release, Private uh, Gracie Helinski was traveling with her unit, a field artillery regiment, on a routine trip from Olympic uh, Armory to Yakima Training Center in south-central Washington. Her team was stopped at a gas station when Sergeant First Class Jesus Garcia noticed movement in the back of a black vehicle in the parking lot. By the time others heard a call for a medic, Helinski was already on the scene. The patient had been laid down on the asphalt, and Helinski quickly said that she had been... Uh, Unable to find a pulse, so they had started CPR. Holinsky administered round after round of CPR until the little girl started making a gasping sound. Holinsky and her fellow soldiers turned the girl onto her side, patted her back until she was fully breathing. The girl's family uh, came to uh, calm the child, and the civilian EMTs, uh, you know, helped save her life. So, powerful stuff, folks. When one person is there bada boom bada bing all of a sudden a lot of uh, good can come out of it Halinski is now being called a hero for her rapid response and uh, her calm and confidence through the whole ordeal jumping into a scene that terrifies many new EMTs her actions saved the life of a child said a fellow soldier so uh, there you have it Gracie Helinski you're the hero private Gracie Helinski you're the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show and that is it for us friends uh, you know we're here to do what we can to make the world better And we appreciate that you come along for the ride. We can't do it ourselves. So as we all just try to do our part, uh, we can lift the world one person at a time. We'll be back again tomorrow. More fun, more ideas to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. But stick with us because BYU Sports Nation is straight ahead.